Are you ready? This coverage is live and uncensored. So if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's up, folks? Welcome to My Take Radio, episode 95, for Thursday, June 9th, 2011. The intro music you just heard was Street Fighter II's Fretz of Fury, and the artist was Vertex Guy. You can download that and any of the other previously used intro music at ocremix.org. The letter O, the letter C, remix.org. The caller number is 347-324-3541. Again, that caller number is 347 347- Three two four three five four one. All right, we got lots to discuss uh, this evening. I'm going to be joined by Jeremy Correy. He's the creative director of the new animated Voltron Force series that will be debuting on Nicktoons uh, Thursday, January 16th at 8:30 p.m. Eastern Time. He'll be joining us to discuss the premise of the cartoon, some of the work that went into it, what we can expect, especially those of us that are longtime Voltron fans like myself. I am uh, looking forward to speaking to him because I'm an 80s baby. I actually have a, a, an old, a very old Voltron that I believe is from 1980 that I had that was the complete Voltron robot that actually rolls around on wheels. Um, it was for younger kids, and that was actually one of the toys I still have from my childhood, and it's actually in the other room. So it's it's pretty nostalgic for me to see this come full circle and see this new vision of something from my childhood be introduced to a new generation. So I'm super stoked for that. Next, we got a ton of E3 stuff to discuss. I'm going to try and fit it all in in three hours. Sometimes we do it, sometimes we don't. You know how it is when we got guests, but I really would like to touch on some of the E3 stuff. In addition to that, just to get some housekeeping out of the way, our forums are actually picking up. I'm starting to see a lot of new members, some new interactions in there. Um, if you haven't stopped in, do yourselves a favor, check it out, mytakeradio.com slash forums. You can talk about our four core topics, plus uh, toys, movies, collectibles, comics, uh, lifestyle stuff, all kinds. It's a, it's a nice plethora of stuff available, and we got some really great members in there holding it down. So do yourselves a favor, stop in, mytakeradio.com slash forums. Our Facebook fan page has already surpassed 1,050 fans. I'd like to say welcome to all the fans that have joined us in the last few weeks. Um, I hope that we can provide you as much entertainment as you've come to expect by becoming a fan of our page. So definitely welcome to all the new members. Hopefully by episode 100 next month, we may hit that 1,500 member mark. We'll see how that goes. But I think if we keep up this trend getting kick-ass guests, we can see that happening sooner rather than later. Of course, you don't only have to listen to MTR on Block Talk Radio. You can also listen to MTR on iTunes and on our two apps available for Android and for iOS. Our Android app, you can find in the Android Marketplace. You can also find it in the App Brain Store. You can find it there. You can also hit the iOS or iTunes Store to get our app 
for Apple devices. You're going to get access to exclusive content, including things like the Minority Film Report, which Slick has so graciously taken over. I will be resuming some work with Slick in the near future for some other movies. We're going to work that out. Same thing with Ant. If we can actually collaborate on a day, we can do some stuff for the Minority Film Report. But what we've been doing, well, what I've been doing as of late is I've introduced a new add-on for the app called the MTR Behind the Mic Interview Series. Um, I'm going to be talking to just different people in a more casual, more intimate setting versus the pressure-filled live three-hour broadcast, and you'll be able to check out some of the interviews that we do there. Um, I interviewed Michael Manna, uh, who you may know as Stevie Richards from WWE, TNA, and ECW. We mostly talked a lot of tech stuff, so if you're a techie and you're an Apple fan, uh, I recommend you check that out if you have the app. We also spoke to Philosophy this week from the Community Voice podcast. That's going to be edited and uploaded this week, so you'll be able to check that out. I also did a guest spot on the MMA Pulse podcast, which is run by Josh from MMA Valor, who is one of our content partners. Um, had a really great time with that. I uh, will be doing a write-up this weekend and posting it on the site so you guys can check out what Josh and Dan Rose from MMA Valor have to offer. And, of course, i got to throw a shout-out to our guys at This Week in Wrestling's podcast also for providing some really great wrestling content. While I'm on the subject of content, I wanted to put out there that MTR is looking for writers. If you're um, actively a, a good writer and likes all the stuff we cover and can write in a similar style like we do, by all means, send me a sample. I'd like to bring some new writers in to add some content to some of our other sections, primarily comics and mixed martial arts and even tech to a degree, just so we can have a more uh, diverse offering of content for our listeners. So it's not a paid gig, so please don't send me anything asking for money because we haven't got there yet, but it's a great tool to gain exposure. Not only that, but you'll get access to whatever stuff we get access to as a member of the staff. So if you're interested, drop me a line, mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. And by all means, tell me a little bit about yourself and include a writing sample. And maybe you'll get an opportunity to work with us and add some content to the site. Next week, I'm going to be joined by Garib Seamus. He is the head of Wizard World, also the president and CEO of Wizard World Entertainment, formerly um, the parent company for Wizard and Toy Fair Magazine. He'll be joining us next week. We'll be discussing, of course, the Wizard World Comic-Con events and also the Wizard World app. Um, when Toy Fair and Wizard folded in January, it was announced that they would be providing content on the digital side of things with their iPad app. I actually read it every month, and it includes a price guide, and it's just a transition period where, especially since I've been reading Wizard for so many years, that I can read it on the iPad, which ironically enough has become a source of me reading a ton of stuff. I'm reading more comic books, more magazines on the iPad, and it's almost, in, in a sense, me going green, only because I used to have buckets and buckets of magazines that I would give uh, to the gym I go to with with tons of just outdated stuff. So, in a way, save a little money, save some paper, go green. I, I don't mind that. And also, that includes, like I was saying, comic books. You can get apps for Marvel, for DC. You can also read offerings from Image on the iPad. It's a really great tool for that. Um, I believe Android tablets are going to start offering 
uh, comic apps as well, but if you're getting comics online from whatever sources you're getting them, I'm sure that there's a reader available for Android devices, so you can check that stuff out as well. Our Get Glue check-ins are actually going up. We've actually sent some information over to Get Glue. This is slick. Blog Talk Radio is uh, showing up again, so we appreciate your patience. Rich will be right back. Fucking Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio gets a great big... The following advertisement is for BornStubbornRadio.com. Born Stubborn Radio. We like news, we like current events, but we like the fucked up news and the fucked up current events. Born Stubborn Radio, we talk about everything in entertainment. We talk about movies. We talk about music. Mostly heavy stuff. Have good mosh pitting! And because we're big fucking nerds, we talk about video games. <laughs> we're big fucking nerds. We love video games. Fuck's sake, man! <laughs> Rich loves the show. Yeah. Hey, Rich, you like the show, don't you? Yeah, man. Are you sure you like the show? <laughs> yeah, man. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Stop the music. Isn't Born Stubborn Radio one of your favorite podcasts? Yeah, man. Awesome. Okay, hold on a second. But I was just curious. I'm thinking about coming to New York. Awesome. You live in New York, right? Yeah. You think maybe I could uh, crash on your couch? Uh, In the predominantly Asian neighborhoods, there's like fucking 20 of them shits. Um, Rich, I love you, but I don't know what the fuck he just said. In the Asian neighborhoods, there's like fucking 20 of them shits. Exactly. Okay, I, I don't know what Rich is thinking, but BornStepInRadio.com is where you should be going right now. Here you get it! Have good mosh pitting! Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your patience. I'm still waiting for Rich to call back in. Uh, don't know what the hell is going on here. Blog Talk Radio is definitely going to catch some brown raids tomorrow. I guarantee you this. Ladies and gentlemen, the hottest place on the internet for wrestling and video games is, of course, WGS Radio. We got it all. News, reviews, interviews of some of the biggest stars in wrestling today. And yes... Even. Oh my God! The leader of Team Cooch himself, Nick Dirty Fest. That's every Wednesday and Saturday night, 7 p.m. Central Time. And of course, for pay per views, two hours before every pay per view for wrestling. www.blogtalkradio.com slash WGS Radio. We'll see you there. All right, you guys, I'm going to have to play some music and find out what the hell is going on with Rich, because usually he would have got back in by now. So uh, there's probably something really stupid going on on Blog Talk Radio right now. Um, basically, this normally would be safe for the outro, but I need a couple of minutes to get in contact with him, so please stay with us.
Okay, guys, I'm cutting the music short. The host with the most appears to be back. So take it from here, Rich. Thanks a lot, Slick. I have no idea why Skype takes it upon itself or my t- or Block Talk Radio takes it upon themselves to cut me off midstream. I have no idea where I got cut off at, and um, I think I was just complaining about E3 and WWDC, so I'm not going to beat it up too much, like I said. Just the only thing I got to tell media outlets, whether smaller sites or even larger sites, if you're going out there to represent your brand, please take some time to look professional. Make sure you, you eat some breath mints. Please don't pass gas in the venues that you're at. Do yourselves a favor. Just just present yourselves the way you're supposed to and not like amateurs because you will be treated as such. Um, last but not least, I wanted to talk briefly about the uh, MTV Movie Awards, which I saw this weekend, and I really was going to go into a napalm-level rage fit, but I got to take a moment and acknowledge Mist, who is one of our staffers and one of our listeners also, and she presented the MTV Movie Awards to me in a certain light, which was that it made me actually feel really, really old because I said to myself, wow, all of, the, all, all of these awards that are going to Twilight are complete garbage, and um, particularly Best Fight Sequence, which definitely um, a couple of four-letter words were dropped. But nonetheless, the only thing I have to say is that I I really am not going to watch those awards anymore because I think I've aged myself out of enjoying and finding any enjoyment in that. So that's all I got to say. So I got to throw a shout out to Mist for putting it out there and I appreciate it. And she made me look at things a little differently. So with that, I just want to jump into the MMA real quick because there's a couple of things I want to touch on before Jeremy calls in. So let's get right into it. All right, I would discuss the Ultimate Fighter finale first, but that's actually going to take quite a bit of time. So I just want to go through some of the MMA news first. Uh, First off, Anthony Rumble Johnson was scheduled to compete against Nate Marquardt. Unfortunately, he he suffered suffered a shoulder injury in training, and he will be withdrawing from that fight. Rick Story will be replacing him instead. That fight is going to take place June 26th in Pittsburgh, and will be airing on the Versus Network. Our buddies over at Bellator announced their newly their new Summer Series Featherweight Tournament, which is going to start June 25th, aptly on my birthday. That's going to be Bellator 46, and it's going to have four Featherweight quarterfinal tournament matches. The match that jumps out to me right off the bat is Janer De Silva versus Marlon Sandro. Marlon Sandro is an animal if you guys haven't seen him fight, YouTube Marlon Sandro, you'll see that that guy is no joke. Also, you're going to have Ronnie Mann and Adam Schindler, Pat Curran and uh, Luis Palomino, uh, Jacob DeVries and Nazar- Nazareno, wow, this guy, Malagari. There we go. Those guys are going to be competing in the featherweight tournament quarterfinal. In some New York MMA news, it seems that MMA is getting a little closer to being sanctioned here in my home state. Super excited for that. One thing that's of concern to me is when it gets to the General Assembly. As of right now, the 
New York State's uh, Tourism Parks and Recreation Committee passed the bill to regulate MMA in New York. The bill passed by a, by a vote of 16 to 3. Now it has to head over to the Codes Committee, which is, of course, going to address legal ramifications of legislation, and that can go either way. It can get really sketchy at that point because you've got a couple of guys up there that are complete asses that are going to go out of their way to ensure that it doesn't get passed. One of them is the prize winner, Sheldon Silver, who is a atypical New York politician. Um, he is a, a smooth-talking old fogey that's been there probably for as long as I've been alive, and he continues to just go out of his way to not allow MMA to be passed. Also with that, he's got his other, his other buddy up there helping him, and he, I can't even remember the other guy's name because I don't have all my notes in order. All I know is that Sheldon Silver was flapping his gums saying that he's going to see it, that he's going to make sure that MMA does not get sanctioned in New York State which is a sad state of affairs. And I really hope it doesn't happen. Money here in New York is, is in the garbage, and I really would like to see that go through. Just because it's a shot in the arm, there's going to be jobs. There's going to be multiple MMA events at either Nassau Coliseum, Madison Square Garden, smaller shows and smaller venues. It's just great. It's going to be a shot in the arm for the economy. And I don't understand why these old politicians continue to beat that up, but that's, that's the state of affairs we're in. In some semi-wrestling and MMA news, Batista, who, of course, you remember, left WWE to possibly enter into MMA through Strikeforce, has instead decided to open an MMA gym. He is going to be partnering with Caesar Gracie, and they will be opening a Gracie Fighter Jiu-Jitsu school in Tampa, Florida. As of this show, the gym is only open to close friends, but will be open to the public within the next week or so. Whether Batista comes back to wrestling remains to be seen. I don't understand um, why he's opening a school when he should be, if he's trying to get into MMA, working on fighting on some smaller shows and hopefully getting noticed to be on a you know UFC or Strike Force or even MFC card, but or even in Japan, I think Batista would do better in Japan where they like to do some of those freak show fights. But he wants to open a school. More power to him. This weekend we got UFC 131. That's going to be from the Rogers Arena in Vancouver. The fights are going to start on Facebook Saturday, 6 p.m. Eastern. And also it was announced that you'll be able to watch UFC fights on YouTube, which is huge. Um, on the preliminary card, you're going to have Mike Masenzio and Christoph Szczynski, James Head and Nick Ring, uh, Dustin Poirier and Jason Young, Joey Beltran and Aaron Rosa, Darren Elkins and Mishihiro Omigawa. You'll be able to see that on Facebook and YouTube. Next up in the Spike TV portion of things, you got Jesse Bongfeldt and Chris Weedman, who's representing New York right out of Mineola. Definitely pulling for Chris in this fight. Uh, Eve Edwards and Sam Stout are going to close out the Spike TV card. And, of course, the pay-per-view card has Donald Cerrone and Wagner Roca, Damian Maya and Mark Munoz, uh, John Olaf, Inemo, and Dave Herman, Kenny Florian making his uh, debut at 145 versus Diego Nunez, and... Of course, the main event, Junior Dos Santos versus Shane Carwin with the winner getting a shot at Cain Velasquez probably within the next six months or so. And, of course, Brock Lesnar will be out until 2012 due to having over a foot of his colon removed to help him heal from diverticulitis. So 
that's the story with that. But UFC 131 this weekend. In some Strike Force news, the Strike Force heavyweight tournament will be June 18th. Originally, it was scheduled that Gina Carano would be making her return on that card, but sadly, that is not the case. For medical reasons, Gina Carano is not able to compete, so she is officially out of the Strike Force event. But nonetheless, there's still some great fights on there. You got Alistair Overeem and Verdum, that's the heavyweight Grand Prix opening round, uh, second, second series. Josh Barnett and Brett Rogers, super excited for that. And added not a couple of weeks back was Daniel Cormier and Jeff Monson, Chad Griggs and Valentin Overeem, and moved up now Jorge Masvidal and KJ Nunes. The prelims are going to be broadcast on HDNet. you got Jay-Z Cavalcante and Justin Wilcox, uh, Magno Almeida and Connor Hewen. Uh, you also got a couple of other fighters, Nishan Burrell versus Joe Ray, uh, Mike Bronzoulis and Todd Moore, Brian Melancon and Isaac Valley Flag are also going to be fighting on the prelims. Amanda Nunez and Gina Carano both pulled out, so their respective opponents, uh, Sarah D'Elio and Julie Kedzie, have been removed from the card. So, Strike Force, June 18th, Showtime, free MMA. It's a no-brainer, folks. You guys got to definitely check it out, especially to see Overeem fight. It, Overeem fighting in the U.S. Is a, is a rarity. We only got to see him fight against Brett Rogers, but Overeem is no joke. Do yourselves a favor, and if you got Showtime, check that out. And Scott Coker said that the semifinals will actually be happening uh, later on in the fall, and the finals will be happening in 2012. So that's how the tournament is going to progress with semifinals in the fall and finals in 2012. Super stoked for that. Like I said, I have a feeling it's going to probably be Overeem going into the finals, with, and he'll probably meet Barnett, and Overeem and Barnett should be a great fight. Not to take anything away from Verdum. Verdum has outstanding jujitsu, but Overeem is just Overeem's on another level of insanity. I wanted to just take a moment and address a rumor that everybody's been talking about this week, and that's the possibility of the UFC buying a majority stake in the G4 network from Comcast. Dana White actually dispelled that rumor today, but sometimes it's it's a matter of dispelling for you know non-disclosure reasons. Uh, right now, it seems that this season's Ultimate Fighter will be the final season with, U with the UFC making the move to G4 and possibly Bellator coming to spike. How true that is remains to be seen. By UFC buying a majority stake in G4, uh, a lot of things can happen. G4 can become a complete MMA channel with all UFC programming, or they may keep, may keep G4 in there just to offset the onslaught of MMA. It should be interesting to see where that goes. Personally, I felt that UFC was a fantastic fit for Spike because Spike TV is the network for guys, and you know it's it, it's all it, it fits way too well. But on the flip side, Bellator moving over to Spike is good, just because they get a a, a bit uh, bigger stage and a bigger platform to to introduce themselves to the masses. Not that their work on MTV2 sucks, but I think it's something that would benefit. Bellator in the long run. Now, G4 can use that UFC clout, possibly start broadcasting in HD, because G4 is not in HD on any cable uh, providers that I've seen here in New York. Hopefully, they'll be able to do that, because honestly, watching MMA in, in low definition is just abysmal at this point, especially if you're spoiled to watching it in HD. But we'll see what happens. 
in keeping with Dana White dropping some bombs this week, he also announced that the organization will be adding a 125-pound flyweight division. So you're going to end up having uh, more, you know, multiple weight classes from 125 all the way up to 265. Should be good. There's a lot of fighters that I think making the the drop to 125 would be beneficial, and it's just going to be more room for exciting fights. The other thing that was announced, which is huge, is that Dana White said that all main event non-title bouts, whether they're on pay-per-view, Spike TV, or versus, will be five rounds going forward. So, you know, to number one contender fights, all main events from now on will be five rounds. No more draws, no more bullshit. If you can't do it in five rounds, something is seriously wrong. I think that's going to be, uh, that's going to eliminate draws and unnecessary decisions because if you can't finish a guy in five rounds, something is seriously wrong with you. And, and if there's not, then that guy's just a, a tough, a tough SOB. I got to say that. Those announcements, super excited, super excited for the 125 division just because I know it's going to be an exciting division and we're going to see some really great talent get showcased. Last but not least, to close out the MMA news, is that UFC 135 was announced for Denver. That's going to be September 24th. And the expected headline fight is going to be the light heavyweight title fight between John Bones Jones and Rampage. Uh, That's dependent on the health of John Jones and whether his hand is healed up and he can get medically cleared. Same goes for Rampage. I have a feeling it's going to happen, and it's going to be super exciting. Also rumored to be on that card is going to be the welterweight bout between UFC Hall of Famer Matt Hughes and Diego Sanchez. So UFC 135 in September in Denver. I'm sure everybody that's in Colorado is going to enjoy that. I think that John Jones is going to get tested fighting Rampage. Hopefully the Rampage is continue to evolve as a fighter. I saw a real huge amount of improvement in his striking and his takedown defense um, against a guy like Matt Hamill, who had such a huge uh, takedown ratio. I believe it was something along the lines of 77%. Rampage went out of his way to stop that. And also, we can't forget that Rampage is also a wrestler. So it should be interesting to see that. I think that John Jones is going to try and keep that fight standing. Uh, He's going to try and counterpunch a lot use his reach advantage to keep Rampage away. I don't know how it's going to go with regards to using some of those crazy strikes that he throws because Rampage does have dynamite in his fists, and most of the time he connects and people are going to sleep. So super excited. I think it's going to be a great fight. And also we still got Phil Davis and Rashad Evans you know, in the wings, and we're going to see where that goes because obviously – if Phil Davis wins, does that place him in contention? And if so, and Jones gets gets past uh, Rampage, would, would we see Phil Davis and John Jones? I think that would be just as exciting to see as well. But we will find out soon enough. I actually am, have a couple of minutes, I guess, before Jeremy calls in. I just wanted to touch a little bit on the Ultimate Fighter finale, and I'll just go through the, last, the, the co-main event and the main event. Uh, the lightweight fight between Clay Guida and Showtime Pettis was uh, had a surprising conclusion only because Clay Guida went in there and he won the fight by unanimous decision. This affects Pettis only because he took this fight because he didn't want to wait to challenge the winner of Edgar Maynard 3, and he took this fight and he came out on the losing end. 
Clay Guida, a lot of people gave him a lot of shit because they felt that he used the lay and pray tactic and the smothering tactic versus his typical exciting style. I feel that Guida had a really good game plan. He knew how to defend against a guy like Showtime who had who has really fantastic striking. And Guida looked good. We just got to see another side of him. So for those people that are out there complaining about his performance, just accept the fact that he's a guy who's given us um, a ton of fight of the night honors, uh, submission of the night, knockout of the night. The, the guy always delivers, and he just wanted to play it not safe, but he just wanted to fight smart, and there's no harm in that. So for those people that are shitting on him, you guys need to do your homework. And in the tough finale, I expected it to be a little longer than expected, but Tony Ferguson versus Ramsey Najem ended up being ended via vicious KO from Ferguson, and he, um, he caught him with a, with a straight right and then a left hook, and it was a wrap. So Tony Ferguson is your ultimate fighter for season 13 with a KO at three minutes and 54 seconds of round one. Overall, like I said, it's it's a culmination of a uh, not not a lackluster season, but uh, a decent season. And I really am excited for Mayhem and Bisping coaching next season. Uh, add to that the fact that I heard that they are bringing back the fighters fighting their way into the house for this season, which is a huge plus. And I really hope that they go with that only because you get to see some really great talent showcased at the opening and it kind of sets the pace for the rest of the season. I'm going to take a quick commercial break and we will get back to it right after this. You know those shows where they play video game music and they laugh in like really high voices like... <laughs> well, you won't listen to that on our show because uh, we don't have the budget for that kind of thing. We're broke as hell. And uh, nobody really cares that much to laugh that hard. So um, if you're looking for a show like that that has horrible audio quality and uh, void of fake laughter... Video Game News Radio, 11 p.m. Tuesday nights on all games. All right, and we're back. I've just been informed that Jeremy is on the line, and I'm going to bring him in, and we're going to talk Voltron Force. Jeremy, what's, what's up, going Rich? on? How are you? Good, man. Just wrapping up the day here in uh, St. Louis at Voltron headquarters here in the uh, Castle of Lions in the control room. Coran quit long ago and Pidge just went home early. So uh, it's good, man. It's been good. I appreciate you taking the time to come on and talk talk about the the premiere of the show and also what we can expect considering that you and I have been kind of communicating back and forth trying to pin down a date. So I appreciate you taking the time to come in and share uh, what we can expect for, you know, this new incarnation of Ultron. Much appreciated. Yeah, man, and I, I love what I hear so far. And uh, it's uncensored in here, huh? This is the this is the podcast Mom warned you about, huh? Yeah, we, we, we run a, a, a pretty open format here. We You know, the, not being at the mercy of the FCC helps, and it, it just feels more, more natural, more real. We all... We all you know, say something sucks or something is shit. So we, we do that, and it's fine. And, and it helps just reaching a, a broader audience this way, doing live shows. No, I love it. And uh, as soon as I heard the Street Fighter 2 remix music on the last show and the Macho Man before that, I knew we'd be buds. So uh, all good, man. I'm with you. 
Good, I appreciate it. So, um, first off, before before we even talk about the series, uh, tell me a little bit about yourself, how you came to be involved with this project, what were you doing before? Sure. Well, it's funny, Voltron's always kind of been threaded throughout my life, whether that be, you know, like you growing up, uh, I grew up in southern Illinois, a little town of Highland, and, you know, Voltron would come on after school, and uh, I can remember etching in Black Lion into the BMX bike, you know, and running around and everybody arguing who got to be Keith, you know, or who got to be Sven. Of course, you didn't want to be Sven, right, because then you'd get uh, taken out and replaced by Princess Alora. But, uh, and then uh, later in high school, we actually tried to film a Voltron movie, you know, using, uh, you know, horrible uh, uh, special effects and a uh, stop-motion toy, and we were uh, trying to cast one kid as Keith because he had a mullet. Uh, we thought he'd be a good one. And uh, then in, even in college, uh, I actually called up World Events Productions here and uh, got the rights to show Voltron on a, um, a block of programming made for hungover college kids' cartoons called Saturday Morning Noon Tunes, and uh, just was thrilled when they sent me uh, some Voltron episodes. So, um, yeah, it's been good. I mean, I've been, uh, been doing uh, little shorts and videos uh, for a while now, actually, uh, uh, back in the dial-up days, trying to do uh, uh, videos, and uh, one we did called uh, Old School Afternoon, Actually, uh, I got some attention with Wizard. I, I guess you're having Garib uh, on next week from Wizard? That's right. Yeah, I think uh, him or either Matt Seinreich called us and said we had won some contest. So I've done little short films and things, uh, but always building towards Voltron, and um, uh, and finally it's happening next week. But one one thing I want to ask you, and, and you were saying that, that it's been threaded through, you know, threaded through your life like that. Given all the various incarnations of Voltron did you feel that you had incredible shoes to fill with this project because of course you know going back to the Go Lion roots which were you know a little bit more uncensored a little bit more uh, broader appeal versus the translation to U.S. audiences and then the CGI Voltron they did the vehicle Voltron which everybody you know a lot of people I know this how, how does it right. feel right. having that much pressure to, to deliver on this stage with something so new? Well, to a newer audience, I should say. You, you're absolutely uh, right there, Rich. That it, 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 I looked at it as a real opportunity, though, uh, in that there's, there's Voltron, the property, has not been as played out as, say, uh, as some of its robotic uh, cousins, such as, you know, Transformers and things. And here's an opportunity that we can really play in this universe and answer the tough questions that have been burning in fans' minds, you know, since we watched it when we were kids. Like, why does he take so long to form Voltron? Why wouldn't Arobis come up and just start, you know, kicking the crap out of him then? So, I don't know. There was, there's definitely the pressure, and, you know, we feel it every day, and that's what drives us to try and exceed fans' expectations, but uh, it felt more like an opportunity, and it felt like a, you know, that I, I felt like a, a true Voltron fan, and I was in this position of responsibility here to uh, to deliver to, you know, the next generation here, so um, it, it, was a, it was a thrilling responsibility, and uh, I think we've really delivered it, but, but um, you're right, there were some choices artistically and uh, in, in what we did in this new series, the entire point was to, you know, get a new generation behind Voltron because without that new generation, you know, the brand just kind of withers away and becomes something that's perceived of as, you know, uh, older or something. So we knew there was a lot of love amongst, you know, what I call Generation Voltron us, and uh, but we needed to something that do something that struck the balance where it would be, you know, dynamic and exciting for kids 
you know, 6 to 11 like the show is aimed at, but also have enough fan service in there that, you know, guys like you and me and Slick, we can watch that and just go, oh, man, that one was for me. So um, we did a lot of those choices, including just the style to split the difference a little more, you know, Western than, say, anime. Um, you know, I love anime. I'm a huge fan, and, you know, Voltron was my introduction to anime. But uh, we didn't want the show to be perceived as, you know, just another anime show, you know, all respect to the Yu-Gi-Oh's and Bakugans. We didn't want kids who would be seeing this for the first time to just think it was, oh, this is, you know, just another anime show. So we, uh, we experimented a little bit and kind of split the difference, and we're always refining and touching the anime up or the animation up now. And, uh, but I hope to someday go back with a project and, and, and give fans who enjoy that, you know, edgier anime style uh, something uh, to look forward to. Well, one thing I had wanted to ask you with, with regards to that, and, and you touched on something, uh, a lot of people, and, and this happened not too long ago when they announced that they were rebooting uh, Thundercats, and, you know, I saw a lot of people had some some apprehension due to the anime style. But what I wanted to ask is you touched on the fact of touching a 6- to 11-year-old demographic. What What resources are you guys using to gauge that sort of an audience? Is it just from market research or is it something about going back to some of the previous history and seeing where Voltron was at the apex? Well, you know, we have some pretty powerful partners. I like to say that we, we formed like Voltron, you know, we have Mattel as our master toy license, you know, we have Nicktoons um, and we have, uh, you know, other companies like THQ and Viz uh, helping us out. And these guys are experts on uh, kids. So particularly Mattel really helped us, deep dive into our brand, really compare it to, you know, why is Voltron different than, say, Transformers? You know, what can we bring out, you know, and things like, you know, when things you would guess as well, just, you know, robot lions, nobody has these fierce, you know, kick butt, you know, claws, paws, and jaws, lions like we do. And, and how can we get across all the time to kids that Voltron is, you know, the biggest, baddest robot? He can step on Optimus Prime. It's the simple, you know, playground uh, argument ender. So uh, they really helped us understand that kind of kid universe. And, and for me, being, you know, a proud member of Generation Voltron, where, you know, I was always pushing things in a fanboy way and making sure that things really respected the uh, classic series, it was, uh, it, it, it took me a little bit of change. And, and you had to constantly remind yourself that, you know, while you and I might get, you know, a joke about, uh, I don't know, Princess Romel or something like that, the, 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 the kids who will be watching this and be the primary, you know, viewers for this, they're not, this is their introduction to the world of Voltron. So um, hence why we even went with the new cadet concept where, you know, we were pretty adamant, uh, my boss, Ted Koppler, about, you know, hey, we have some capital in these characters. Like, you know, we all know them, right? Lance, Pidge, Keith, Hunk, you know, and Alora. Why, why, why throw that out yet? You know, people have grown to love these characters. So we kind of struck this nice balance where we would introduce these new cadets as kind of a relatable point of entry to the universe of Voltron, which, you know, you and I get, but you'd, you'd be surprised sometimes with kids when they watch, that, you know, that the lions all come together and that people are actually inside these lions. So it's all these things, and, and every day is something uh, different. So we always watch the shows as they come in and say, well, what would a kid be thinking who's just joining us at Episode 6? So um, it's been uh, it's been a quite a learning experience, but uh, the great thing is Voltron still works, and there's something about you know, Voltron forming a blazing sword and uh, can cut a robe in half. It's just timeless. I think that the Egyptians were doing hieroglyphics of that. So it still works. 
Well, one one thing that's funny about that, which which I've seen, and, and it's been a trend in a lot of shows. And uh, as soon as I heard about it, it, a couple of guys that off air said to me, they're like, "Oh man, you know, they're bringing in, you know, cadets, and it's gonna be it's gonna be bullshit." And I and, and I and I told them that if you look at every newer version of a cartoon it's tying in existing characters with young children even in transformers animated transformers prime which is on the hub right now you see that those existing characters that we all know and love are tied into relationships with with younger children i think it's 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 a necessity to help kids you know kind of empathize with their animated counterparts it helps i mean yeah sure sometimes it's it's it kind of leads to, ah, you know, the kid's always going to get in trouble or the kid's going to be the source of conflict in a lot of these episodes. But I respect the fact that I see where the partnerships come in and it helps to bring in younger audiences because just watching a show with a whole bunch of adults piloting lions, yeah, we're all for it. But a kid's going to be like, I can't connect with, with, with a fat guy that rides a yellow lion. You know, I can't. Uh, you're, or, you know, I can't. you're exactly right. And every time we watch it with kids, we're 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 just you know surprised. We're you know yeah, you and I lean towards uh you know Keith or somebody, but the kids they latch on to these kind of relatable kids. And uh, I'm happy to say that our writer for Todd Garfield, for all those reasons you you know just mentioned, and and believe me, I'm just another fanboy. And I, maybe if I didn't work here, I'd be on the other side saying the same thing. And you read this on paper, and like you know, oh boy, here come here comes little Anakin Skywalker. You know, are you an angel? And stuff. It's like, but really, our, our writer Todd Garfield just did a pitch perfect job of balancing these characters. And what he did so brilliantly is he took that mathematical dilemma that's right there, right? Five lions and eight. Could, you know, three cadets plus five classic teams, that, that doesn't work out. Well, he was able to take that, and he made that kind of the driving narrative, you know, where our classic characters are like, wait a minute, are these are they here to replace me? And I think that really ties into a lot of where, you know, Generation Voltron is right now in their lives with, you know, their own kids and just kind of, you know, the changes that you go through. And, you know, we were all rock stars in our 20s, and then you suddenly start to hit your 30s and things, and we, you're like, wait a minute, things are changing. So uh, uh, it's really interesting, and I think kids are going to latch on to these new characters because, you know, they, they, they are aggressive and they've got attitude and they take action, but uh, but classic fans will latch on to the, the ones that they uh, uh, grew up with and, and, and see those characters evolve in ways that, you know, we couldn't do in 1984 and, the, you know, even in uh, 98 with the 3D series. These characters are just so much more lifelike and we really take episodes and, and get to know, say, a hunk and kind of get to know his backstory like never before and, and then even dive into the big mythology stuff when we start to, you know, get into, you know, why lions and where did Voltron come from and, and all these things that we've all been, you know, wondering about uh, uh, at night uh, with the flashlight and comics. One, one thing I wanted to ask you with, with regards to that is when you guys were working on, on drawing the characters, I noticed something which, which struck me immediately was that you guys kind of worked on making Allura more independent as opposed to how you guys, you know how Allura was originally displayed where she was kind of thrust into the moment, a little pampered, a little, a little oh my God, I'm going to die, versus now she's more independent, a little bit more aggressive. Did you guys feel that you had to bring those characters forward? Was that the main motivation to it? Like you're like, yeah, you know, these are characters we all know and love, but we got to kind of add an edge to them. You know, I noticed how, how Keith is more, you know, more the, the gruff, more loner kind of a guy versus the, the more heroic 
Keith from the earlier episodes. I noticed that from the pictures and also from the trailer you had sent me. Was that part of the was that part of the process, or was that something that just grew as you guys started working on the series more? No, that was all by design, and you're absolutely right. And that was a lot of my role on this show was to take those characters and say, well, where would they be? let's say, five years from now. And, um, you know, we, we, and a lot of the press materials out there, you know, it says five years, the, the, the show is based uh, exactly five years after the original. But we like to say based on because we, we do take liberties where it would best serve the story and characters. And you're exactly right. For instance, you know, you look at somebody like Pidge and, you know, we evolved him just a little bit. And you, I don't think you can get away with the same characterizations that you could in 1984. You know, nerd is the new cool in the uh, era of the social network. And, you know, somebody like Hunt you know, the kind of jock stereotype probably doesn't play as much. So, um, you know, we made him kind of a little more of a garage head, a little more of a, you know, into a metal, you know, and uh, uh, we took uh, Keith and, and he was very perceptive exactly that. He's going to have trouble kind of adjusting back into the team and this, you know, theme of unity and teamwork with Voltron. You know, here you've got the head who's having a hard time kind of adjusting back after being gone for so long on his hunt for Black Lion. So we took everything that worked about the original and just kind of, you know, up the attitude, up the action, and, and, and took it in 2011. And um, it's, it's fantastic to see how every action does come from a real character place, and, it's, and I'm happy to see fans kind of picking up on that. One thing I had wanted to ask also, which I noticed, did you guys go for making – the the team members pilots or did you want to make the lions semi sentient like because that's one thing I noticed in a lot of in the older shows there was always that bit of a blur between whether the lion was completely sentient partially sentient or if the whole Voltron was able to be sentient on its own independent from the pilots. Yeah, Rich, you're uh, you're in the writers' room right now, man. That's uh, very perceptive as well. Uh, we like to say that what's cool about Voltron is that you are in control. You know, as a kid, whereas Transformers, you know, it's a, a wrapping bumblebee or whatnot. He's in control. Well, with Voltron, you know, you are behind the seat of this awesome F-15 meets, you know, battle tank meets hypersonic uh, feline warrior. So uh, uh, what you're hitting on is is something that we do play with a little bit in the series and in the natural designs of the lions and that we really wanted to celebrate their individuality there where, you know, as you've seen, Hunk's lion has that bit of an underbite, you know, it's more like a bulldog stance. So yeah, you'll see in the show where, uh, in fact, we were just watching one today. I'm kind of laughing at the different expressions of the lions and it's fantastic because it's such a great way that you don't have to be inside the cockpit with them all the time to kind of see how they're feeling. And, you know, we're in the 84 show and even the 98, they were kind of stiffer, kind of blockier, designs, um, these are much more expressive. And, and when they get angry at each other and things, they kind of get in each other's faces. So I, I love the personality that's coming out of these lions. And it just makes it so much sweeter when they come together as Voltron because it really does differentiate them because they look so differently. And suddenly you have this, you know, kick-butt warrior, uh, titanic giant uh, defender. And, and I just think it makes it work so much better. So uh, you're exactly right. And I don't want to spoil anything getting into any you know, sentient talk, but uh, watch the uh, series. And uh, I think the series was uh, made for fans like you <laughs> asking those questions. Well, one one thing I wanted to touch on, and, and I know I got a question from one of the guys in the chat. I noticed that 
in the lion's design. And, and this also stems from, from a visit which I actually took to the Bronx Zoo last week. And um, <laughs> I took photos of lions because I'm, I like lions very much. And in looking through the photos you had sent me, I actually ended up taking the black lion. It's my default on Facebook. I noticed that you guys took a more, uh, a more realistic lion approach. You almost trimmed all the fat away from the original lions because the black lion being the body of Ultron, he was always a very, it was always very stocky, very broad looking mm-hmm. on, you know, whether it was standing on the, on the pedestal outside the castle or even just in the movement. And these new lions I've noticed are more fluid. There's more, there's more of a natural cat like movement. Did you guys do any sort of research for that? Just looking at, at cats and, and looking at lions to, to master that level of, of, of just fluid animation for, for those, for, for each robot. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right, and absolutely we did that. We particularly with Mattel, um, our friends over there, Brandon and Steve and Michael and all our designers, they really helped us refine exactly what you're talking about. And that you'll look at Blue Lion, and it's more of a lioness, you know, which fits perfectly with uh, Alora, and she's uh, you know protecting her cubs and and uh, a, a proud lioness standing beside you know somebody like Black Lion, who's the first lion we've done with a mane. Uh, in it, and uh, it looks much more noble and looks like the leader as opposed to, you know, Red Lion, which we purposely made, you know, a little maybe more cheetah-like and something that was fast and gave him the uh, fins up top and the uh, my little faux hawk that I uh, laugh at. So, uh, and Pidge's Lion looks a lot younger, uh, you know, a little bit more of a uh, sci-tech uh, green lion. So, yes, absolutely, every every thought of that went in, and the big thing, uh, was to make them look like they could go fast. You know, um, fanboys like us love our rust, and we love to put our battle damage on our toys and things like that. But uh, kids, you know, they uh, they don't dig that as much. It's the age of kind of Iron Man now, you know, and something's got to be fast and look like a uh, sports car and look like it can really get in there and rip it up. So uh, I think the, uh, the lion designs that we uh, ended up with really strike a nice balance. And uh, you'll see in the show we're able to use you know, the CGI animation to move these things in ways they've never moved before and claw at things and bite, jump, and these new tail weapons are just incredible. In fact, the uh, episode four is just a fantastic showcase. It'll be the one on after the premiere. It's, uh, you know, just tons of lion action getting in there, getting dirty, yellow lions, hammer tail swinging. So uh, it's awesome. And, and, and our sound designer, uh, Randy, has done such a great job where he's taken that individuality theme and put it into the roars of the lion so none of them quite sound the same and they've got this great little you know electronic tinge to it well it's deep and guttural so it's like a you know t-rex mated with a unicron or something and then come up with this so it, it, it's really fantastic uh, I, I, i'm excited for that that's one thing like i said when i saw the black lion picture i'm like yep stealing this making it my default just because <laughs> I, saw I, liked- that. I just liked you uh, about a half hour ago i think <laughs> Yeah, it's it's something like that that just jumped out, and I said, "Wow, it's more. It looks more to in relation to a, to a real life lion." So I, I I said to myself, "They must have done their homework just on on getting natural lion movement and and, and moving that into robotic form." So I, I was really impressed with that, and I got actually two questions. I got one from one of our guys in the chat, Rubber Onion. He asked them. Um, why is there a need for cartoons to have a linear, continual storyline between episodes rather than a one-shot episodic formula like in the 80s cartoons? 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, rubber onion is very perceptive. Uh, indeed, that is kind of a balance you have to strike as um, as show creators here. And the reason is, you know, you'll you'll hear a lot about you know Avatar: The Last Airbender. We all love it. It's such a fantastic, epic saga, and, and how sometimes it has trouble because overseas and internationally they'll air these episodes out of order. So there's a bit of pressure to kind of, you know, balance it out and, and make some of the episodes standalone. And uh, Todd did a fantastic job, and uh, our exec producer, Loris Lunsford, was really uh, honest about this, too, where there's an overall journey, but you can join in at any time and really just jump in. And, and, and it, it isn't, uh, you know, so linear and so um, 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 put together that uh, that you can't quite get what's going on. So every episode is standalone, but for fans who do start with one and go to 26, they're going to be really in for a treat and a satisfying journey as they see these characters develop and, and kind of the unexpected things uh, we do. So if you think you have our show figured out and you think it's this uh, <laughs> new Cadets with Attitude or Ghostbusters Extreme, uh, just uh, start to watch on June 16th. We we try to be one step ahead of the audience all the time. That's good. I actually, I got a, I got a question from, from a guy on Twitter, from, from Kip Duran, and he asked, why doesn't Keith have his hair? And I can actually <laughs> say that didn't mullets go out a long time ago? You got to kind of... <laughs> That that would that's a self-explanatory answer, but just in case, please please enlighten Kip. <laughs> no, Kip's right on, man. I, I'm 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 very pro mullet. In fact, this uh, was a uh, big topic in the uh, the virtual writers room, and uh, I'm pleased to say, if you'll if you can see on some of the previews, uh, 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 the mullet is in. Mullet has its own screen credit and trailer. Uh, that we have to uh, abide by, and uh, mullet's a star. I can't believe how much mullet talk, but uh, I was pretty adamant that uh, uh, it be in there. And uh, Todd came up with a, a really great nod to uh, to the to Keith's mullet. And uh, so, if you watch on June 16th, you will learn the fate of the mullet. And uh, we're already writing a spin-off series for um, Keith's mullet. So um, we'll see how well that does. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask, and this this is something that that I've always wanted to know, especially growing up over the years, Power Rangers. How do you guys <laughs> and and Voltron's creators feel, especially with the very very first season where you know the the robots were coming kind of forward, towards the same way, and you and you had a the blazing sword type of a strike, which has continually been exhibited in various incarnations. What what's the general consensus on that? How do, how do you guys feel? Is it something where it's like, oh, you know, that's a nice little bit of homage, or it's like, wow, you guys are are ripping us off so bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, in in ninety two or ninety three, whenever Power Rangers was coming out, I can remember, you know, pre internet or maybe we were all on Prodigy, you know, really feeling the same way. But and, and watching Power Rangers just for that little Voltron tickle, and I went, man, this really kind of you know feels like Voltron, kind of reminds me of it, but. As uh, the enlightened geeks will tell you that, uh, in fact, they are cousins and uh, both made by the uh, same company, I believe, in Toei. So um, that uh, it's tough to say, you know, with the whole Sentai series that one ripped off the other. I even think Power Rangers might have came before in its original uh, air dates in Japan. So um, so now we're going to be sharing a network with them in Nicktoons. So we actually uh, uh, will uh, fight side by side with our uh, Power Rangers cousins. And, um, you know, I I haven't seen much of it since, but um, I think there's a place for both to succeed. And uh, I've seen a lot of crossover 
on Twitter and things between Power Ranger fans and uh, Voltron fans. And what's hilarious to see is you and I can remember growing up in you know Power Rangers and then all of us saying it's a ripoff of Voltron. And now I'm seeing kids tweet about how Voltron is a ripoff of Power Rangers. So we've truly come full circle. But um, as one kid said uh, who saw Voltron Force and uh, uh, another kid said, this, this is kind of like Power Rangers, he said, no, it's better. It's a cartoon. So, uh, and I think he's uh, the things we can do in Voltron Force on an epic scale um, uh, would be tough to do in live action. But um, uh, I'd love to see some kind of crossover at some point. Uh, I'm not sure how we would handle that, but um, who knows, man? Uh, but uh, I, I encourage all Power Ranger fans to give Voltron a try and uh, you know get some old school legacy going, and then uh, check out the new school stuff premiering next Thursday. One thing, one thing I wanted to ask, and and this is, you may be able to answer this. How much of an involvement are you having, and with regards to, to merchandising this newest property, or you know, do you have any any input to that? Is are there any things that you guys are kind of working on that you can divulge with, with respect to that? Only because, and I've talked to at least three or four people that said. Man, they I, hopefully they'll release you know diecast metal lions to form the you know the the twenty pound Voltron that I remember dropping on my foot as a kid. But um, I love it. You know, I how, love it. Is there is there merchandising potential? Have you guys uh, scratched the surface of that yet? Yeah, I mean, with any of these projects, whether they be you know on the level of Star Wars and and, and your Transformers and and that's a that's a big appeal of Voltron and I. You know, often tell um, the, um, an executive producer here, Bob Coppler, that you know, I, I go, you know, sometimes I swear I think the toy was more popular, the Voltron diecast toy that we all know and love, the Cadillac of the playground. You know, I think that thing was almost just more recognizable worldwide, you know, than the show is. I'm sure there's countries where they're worshiping that thing as some kind of uh, idol. They don't even realize, like, no, there's this whole animated series behind it. I mean, if you're doing a list of top 10 toys of all time you'd have to find a place in there and you know it would be my number one and we can all remember you know getting that uh, uh maybe a piece of it and what was so awesome about it and what we hear from you know classic fans all the time is you know you couldn't afford all the pieces at once so you know rich and i had to be friends and then we had to grab flick and maybe we can form voltron then and and you know what a thing of beauty i'm looking at one on my desk right now it's just it's just so fantastic, and the engineering that went into that from, um, you know, Pape Bandai, um, it was so cool. And uh, so, yes, very, very intimately involved in all of the, you know, opportunities beyond the animated series, and, you know, certainly our partner Mattel, you know, the, the, the guys, the gals over there are all, you know, huge Voltron fans themselves, and, and that's what we found in, you know, any of our partners, whether it be um, Classic Media is helping us a lot with the licensing and fielding a lot of these things, that you get these fans in, in high places now, and, and just Voltron creates such an emotional, nostalgic reaction in people that they want to do their best, and that translated down from, you know, our artists to, you know, um, um, uh, we're, we're the animation studio to people we met, so this, this love of Voltron, everybody really wants to do what's best for the property but um yeah i mean on my desk is is voltron uh, toy concepts and things and i can't tell you how cool <laughs> these things are going to be and what a wish list that you can strike off uh that you'll have soon and and, and particularly the things that uh, maddie collector they've announced you know the blazing sword voltron 
that's uh, coming to Comic-Con this summer. Uh, it'll be the most highly articulate Voltron fully assembled action figure yet. The things you can have him do on your desk uh, is pretty unbelievable. And that is just that appetizer to uh, what's coming and then um, what will be coming with Voltron Force. And, you know, from the, the, like you're talking about the video games from THQ, I've been seeing a lot of that stuff and uh, working really closely with the guys over there to the comics from Viz and Dynamic. Um, so it's it's really just begun, and it's a good time to be a Voltron fan, and this universe is just starting to uh, expand, and, and with that comes all the fun things as well. So uh, don't worry. You will be uh, safe, safe now, right, <laughs> for, for, uh, for Christmas, and uh, uh, you will, uh, you'll have your Voltron on the uh, uh, desk bigger and badder than you could ever imagine. Well, one thing I... I had wanted to ask, and, and, and it's always been teased around, and it was also asked on Twitter, was about the the possibilities, and I've seen it shelved, unshelved, of, of live-action Voltron. Where do you stand with that as a concept? Do you feel it would better be suited from an animated medium? Do you think that, you know, Weta and, and the company that went into making Transformers would do would do that justice? Because I remember I heard of a plot point where they wanted to make it post-apocalyptic and the lions were were, were, were on Earth and they had to use that. And I, and I read it, I was like, all right, it's like Voltron meets Mad Max. But, you know, I wanted to ask, I wanted to ask you personally only because of your involvement and how, how would you feel that would translate to a live-action medium? Right. Well, I think, you know, any uh, uh, Voltron fan would say that, you know, after watching the, the, the first Transformers movie, you know, you walk out and you say, well, that's a natural fit, right, Voltron? And what's fantastic about the universe of Voltron is what we were talking about earlier, you know, that human element uh, where you can really get into some character stuff and have the, you know, epic IMAX battles of robot lions uh, running down the street. So uh, there's news to come, and hopefully very soon on the, on the Voltron live-action movie, I think you can look towards Comic-Con we hope to have some more news on that, but uh, we continue to work with our producing partners at Atlas Entertainment and Chuck Rova and Richard Suckle and Jake Curley, and they've been fantastic. And the great thing about those guys is they're willing to wait for the right take and to let it cook long enough instead of shove something out there. So that's really what we're doing with the Voltron live-action feature is sitting back and saying, okay, well, what's the best approach for this? And um, um, there is... Uh, very much interest, and uh, we hope to announce something soon is kind of all I can say. <laughs> all right, cool. Um, one thing I just wanted to put out there, um, if, if you have any calls for Jeremy, you're welcome to call in 347-324-3541. Again, that call-in number is 347-324-3541 if you want to talk to Jeremy and have any questions about the Voltron animated series. And actually, our very own Slick has quite a few questions, and I'm actually going to bring him on so that he can ask away. Let me bring him in here. Perfect. Perfect. Pull up Slick, the bar. How are you? Oh, sorry, man. <clears throat> Told me mid um, mid two. Um, <laughs> what are we eating today? Uh, I was just trying to get some dinner down. Had some some um, ground turkey. You um, guys go late, man. This is this is the late shift, huh? Yeah, I worked for eight, and then, you know, Infamous 2 just came out, so I've been going crazy with that, and I just got ready for the show, and there you go. That's that's good, man. All right, well, share me uh, some turkey. Because <laughs> this is going to be all night. 
Um, <laughs> I, I like I was telling you when I brought you in. I'm really excited for the show, and I'm really hoping that it does well. The um, Richard mentioned the show Transformers Animated, which I personally felt didn't have the greatest art in the world, but it had a wonderful story, and I loved the show because it really did very good justice to the original series, even though it, it rewrote some of the characters' histories. Um, I've read up on the new show. I see how um, Alora's, like like Rich said, also Alora's finally not useless. She doesn't sit in the lion screaming all day long, which, I mean, <laughs> ultimately has to stop happening. Um, <laughs> or getting spanked by Nanny was always uh, quite a move. Oh, God. <laughs> please tell me, please tell me Nanny's dead and those, and those little rats. <laughs> I, I can say fans uh, should t- tune in and uh, they will be surprised at what characters uh, show up. There's probably a Nanny contingency out there, uh, maybe not as strong as the Space Mice. Uh, contingency, but uh, uh, every fan will will get their moment. So uh, uh, when when they see the show, I actually can't be mad at the space mice because if there were no space mice, there would be no Voltron. <laughs> <laughs> you want the uh, space mouse mouse Tron spinoff uh, series, huh? No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go I that give far. Them their, I give them that credit what credit to do. Yeah, all right, I like that. They found the key, or they had it. They were just sitting around the whole time with it, though, until Pidge had to pry it out of them, if I remember correctly. So they could have saved about three episodes worth of trouble if they just, oh, you guys are looking for that key, sorry. But uh, Cheddar and Chitter and all the different names they called them, they weren't quite consistent with it. Exactly. Um, I I noticed, like, you have the three new recruits, and one of them is Laura's niece, and she's not too happy initially about being on the team and basically like uh, Rich said bringing in the younger generation to appeal to that 6 to 11 fan base the most the, the kid I'm most interested in is, I think um, the black kid who's supposed to be descended from the, the people who created Voltron he's supposed to be responsible for like unlocking new powers of Voltron <laughs> yeah that's Nicktoon's uh dot com giving away uh or, 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 Todd and I uh were quite surprised they gave some of that uh stuff away which we would uh have preferred to flow out naturally because there's a really cool, you know, character dynamic and arc to the relationship between, you know, here's Daniel who uh you know is kind of the hot shot, you know, Neo who who you would think has natural transgression and then suddenly Vince uh uh, uh starts to uh, gain some importance for the reasons you discussed there. And, and so there's that tension that's going to drive some things and unfold in some really interesting ways. But, um, yeah, it's cool. And kids are really responding to the fact that, um, you know, um, um, there there is this mythology and, and this kid has these mysterious powers, which I don't want to, you know, spoil too much. But, um, yeah, he's going to be uh, key to a lot of things that uh, unfold in a lot of these new uh, powers that will be unlocked inside Voltron and, and, and lead you in ways to, you know, think of Voltron that you haven't quite thought about uh, before. So um, it's, it's pretty cool. It evolves, you know, what Voltron is without um, taking away from its core. So um, he's a definitely a very interesting character, and uh, there's some really cool stuff 
coming up with him and, and how he fits into the whole mythology of Voltron. Yeah, you know, <clears throat> one of the real reasons I, I really want to see this show do well is that Voltron indirectly launched so many things. Like, going back to what one of my other childhood favorites, Transformers, Voltron was like the original combiner. You got things like Devastator and the aerial bus and everything, and all that goes back to Voltron, you know, like a, a number of vehicles combining into one big robot. And um, another show more recent that unfortunately got canceled due to, you know, merchandising reasons, which is a bunch of crap because it was a great show, Symbionic Titan was a big nod to Voltron. And, you know, I, I don't want to see what happened to that show, which had excellent writing, you know, happened to Voltron, so I'm hoping that, you know, kids pick up on, on the show and, and it, it sticks around for a while. I mean, the the last really big show of this freaking SpongeBob SquarePants that lasted on Nick was Avatar, which got to actually finish out its story, so I hope Voltron, you know, you guys get to do what you want to do with the show the way that, that show had its success. Thanks, man. I appreciate it, and I share your enthusiasm for Symbionic Titan and what Gendy was doing there, and um, I know Derek Bachman, who helped us early on in the development of Voltron, um, has worked on that show, and you know, as, as you, you couldn't help but see the Voltron DNA threads in there, and I thought that was a really cool take on you know putting the, the main characters into high school, and yet you still had this very Planet Eris-esque you know, battle going on, and, and some of the character designs and things you know, which is so fantastic and, and, and so well done. But, um, yes, it's, you know, it's one of those things that, um, something that really resonated with us. But, um, you know, it's what ultimately comes down to with a lot of these shows is, you know, how kids perceive it. So um, I don't know if it was just, you know, uh, too, too slick or something for them, but um, I, I shared, you know, your disappointment as well to see that show um, uh, wrap it up, but um, uh, I know those guys are so talented they'll go on to uh, do very cool things, but um, yeah, that's the good thing about with Voltron Force and Nicktoons is, you know, the president of Nicktoons, Keith Dawkins, is a huge, he's part of Generation Voltron as well, and, you know, uh, he really believes in the show and, you know, wants to see the legacy of Voltron uh, continue and unfold and evolve, and you know, it's just happy uh, uh, Nicktoons is a part of that, so um uh, you know, we've got 26 episodes coming, and um, it's a fantastic journey, and we're hoping that, you know, Voltron fans and beyond uh, tune in. And I think the biggest thing I can tell all the Voltron fans is, you know, just get a kid and uh, borrow one from your neighbor or, you know, make one real quick <laughs> in time for next Thursday at 8.30 Eastern and uh, and watch it with them because that really is the best way to watch the new series. I watch it with my own son, and, and when you're watching it through, you know, Voltron form as blazing sword through your own kids or your niece or nephew's eyes and to see them light up, well, suddenly it's 1984 again for you, you know, and you can... Um, you taste the uh, corn pops in your mouth as you uh, sit in front of the TV, and just it's just it's so fantastic. And you know, just seeing the premiere and, and how we were very careful about you know taking those same taking our time, you know, and, and hitting those same beats that we all 
grew up with. You know, they have to find the keys first, and then they get the lions, and then they get their butt kicked for a little bit, and ultimately forming Voltron. It just, you know, that that still works. That that storytelling. So um, I encourage people when they watch next week to um, to watch it with a kid is the best way to experience Voltron, and and that will get you know that that will help the brand survive so that we can get the projects that you and I want to see, such as like you know our uh, edgier anime DVD special. So um, I think that's just the beginning, and I'm really confident in the show. And um, I know we have a, a, a fantastic story to tell, and it's good to see fans picking up on that as well. Yeah, I'm also really interested to see the, the new toy, which you said will I'll be showcased at Com- um, the San Diego Comic-Con in July, because um, a couple, I think it was two years ago, I picked up a Masterpiece Voltron, which um, one of the coolest things about the toy was that, again, unlike the, the Transformers, the toy looked exactly like the show, which mm-hmm. the Transformers unfortunately didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and with the the new designs, with the, the sleeker designs, I, I want to see what you guys did with it because that was one of the benefits of the bulkier design. I guess it was easier to make it look like the the show when they made the toy. And I'm just hoping, like, when they, when you said Mattel's making the toy, right? Yeah, and the cool thing is they've collaborated with us from the start. So that will be, you know, there's a lot of good synergy there between uh, uh, the toy and the show. So um, what you're getting at there, yeah, is is exactly uh, uh, what we're going to have. And then I encourage if you, you know, enjoy, I, I love all the work that uh, Georgia Toynami did for our Masterpiece Edition, but what Mattel's doing with, you know, even starting with Blazing Sword Voltron, you know, it's the first cartoon-accurate uh, Voltron done, and I'm, I'm seeing the one on my desk, and it, it has this real great cartoon paint job and vibe to it, and it just really uh, comes alive in the poses that you can put it in, you know, really reminiscent of some of those iconic Voltron poses from the classic TV series. So, when I say the best is yet to come, I, I truly mean it. So you have the you have the new one already. <laughs> I have lots of things on my desk. Like <laughs> I can't uh, Twitter quite out, and I'm I'm looking at a whiteboard that has the entire uh, 26 episodes on it, and um, so there's there's lots of fun secrets, but uh, uh, I want to. Uh, to keep them that for now and, uh, you know, just keep checking our Facebook and Twitter and listening to great programs like this and, and uh, you, you'll, you'll see it's, a, like I said, a great time to be a, a Voltron fan and, and to, to be a kid again. Well, the only thing I want to ask you about that, you know, I, I hope you can answer without any spoilers. Um, the, 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 um, when Voltron is all put together, does it have any standing issues? <laughs> you know, like some action figures can't stand up on their own. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, those will all be fully addressed, and uh, uh, you know, the blazing sword Voltron I have, he can practically stand on one leg and still keep balance. So uh, uh, I'm sure they'll be able to stand uh, proud. And, and when you see some of the things that uh, that Mattel is working on and Matty Collector, there will be no question who the biggest uh, bot on the block is. And uh, some cubicles are. Uh, about ready to get rocked here when uh, when Maddie Collector is uh, fully operational with their Voltron line. So uh, look for Comic Con announcements. But uh, I would go ahead and, and move that 
you know, uh, uh, Masterpiece uh, Optimus Prime over and make some room. Make make a lot of room, as a matter of fact, on your cubicle. So, damn. I, I don't trust the people <laughs> at my job enough to put my Masterpiece Optimus Prime there or my Masterpiece Starstream or Grimlock or Voltron. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's room for all, but I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying, uh, uh, bring on the Unicron. That's all I'll say. Nice. Any chance of a one? Just one last question. Any chance of a roller skating Voltron? <laughs> like the giant commander Voltron uh, that uh, Rich has in the other room. I think that's the one you were talking about earlier. I think that's the LJN one. That uh, yeah. there's a fantastic YouTube commercial out there. Uh, somewhere that has the original uh, commercial for that that I, I love to uh, uh, watch. But uh, a rolling vulture, I will put that on the list. <laughs> Who knows what comes out, but uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, we could do uh, I always called it the roller skater because the, the feet were cars. Right. Right, yeah. Well, that's what uh, uh, the oh, that's what you're talking about—the vehicle Voltron. I get it. Right. Yeah, you're not talking about the giant commander stuff. <laughs> yeah, Voltron's uh, uh, vehicle Voltron. Voltron's uh, um, uh, lost brother. Sometimes uh, that's funny. The roller skating Voltron. Vehicle Voltron fans, we hear them. They're out there, and um, uh, we intend to uh, honor them. I encourage them to uh, watch the new series and see what happens. And um, there's some uh, we haven't forgotten forgot about them in, in, in many ways, and they continue to be vocal and, uh, uh, um, you know, express how much they do love uh, Vehicle Voltron, and that's, you know, it was, uh, I can remember not being quite as into it, because there were so many characters to keep track of, but, you know, if you, you watch it again, or if you watch, you know, particularly Die Rugger, Armored Fleet Die Rugger, the, the uh, Japanese uh, series, it's, it's, it's a real fantastic, you know, definitely more sci-fi rich story, but... Um, Vehicle Voltron fans, we're listening, and uh, keep bugging us. That's all I can say. Will do. Thanks for having me on here. Absolutely, Slick. You're good, Slick? I'm good, man. All right, brother. Thanks again. We can go all night, Slick. It's fine. Bring the whole notebook. Trust me, I could. (laughs) All right, bro. Thanks, man. Talk to you later. Peace. All right, I have. Um, it's funny because because Rubber Onion is a, is an animator, and he actually had had two very interesting questions that he feels would be uh, boring, but I but I think they actually give some really good insight. The first he was asking about was that your first episode was going to be a ninety minute movie, and he wanted to know did you guys produce uh, produce the entire season the, the series as a package in house first, or did you go with three episodes for you know to to gain the initial reaction? No, we're in production on the full 26 episodes, first season. So the idea was always to um, do the first three tying together as kind of a you know three act structure and paying a lot of homage to the original series and you know the way that goes down. So that was always the plan. So uh, we're in uh, full force, no pun intended. And uh, in fact, I just saw some of the eighth episode tonight and. Uh, we're very deep into the um, season, so uh, in some ways that's good because we were able to, you know, craft this overarching journey here. But you know, in, in, a, in a lot of ways, it's tough because you know we'll see how the audience responds to some particular characters, which you know we did our homework on a lot of it, so we, we feel like we have a good gauge on it. But yeah, there is a huge scope to this, but uh, 
we're going for it, man. 26 episodes, and um, you'll you'll see after the premiere next Thursday that uh, we'll just start rolling into it. And I think fans are really going to be caught up in the uh, fantastic story and uh, and the action. And just when you think you've got it all figured out, and you're like, ah, I don't need to watch this week's Voltron Force. That's the one you'll miss. That has been purposely designed that way to uh, to throw out these things and crack open some Easter eggs and things that. Uh, We'll uh, hopefully keep uh, new fans and old fans uh, really engaged. The other, the other question he asked was, are you guys, do you guys run your uh, departments, you know, compartmentalized between CGI and traditional animation and are leads assigned to each individual lion, you know, based on the fact that you were saying that they're individual or is it a complete department running everything? Yeah, he's definitely an animator. Uh, <laughs> so what that, with Voltron, you know, by the very nature of the material, is it is this very, you know, huge, this is not some, you know, uh, small flash show that you can get away with. This isn't some, you know, uh, a small uh, one-room uh, play. This is this is Voltron, you know. This is giant planet-busting uh, robots taking each other on. So, yeah, we've had to... Uh, we bring in some different studios to help us out with the CGI, like any of these, you know, blockbuster movies you see where they have all the different CGI houses. So we've collaborated in a lot of ways. But, um, yeah, we have a main studio for the 2D, and it handles a lot of the 3D. And then uh, a lot of the other CGI and 3D goes out. So it's been uh, it's been a quite a worldwide collaboration to uh, bring Voltron Force to screens. And um, uh, the stuff that we're doing with the CGI is just pretty amazing particularly you know later on in episodes and the you know you're going to see these ro- battle robies battles in ways that you haven't before and just it just it looks so good and I'm, I'm just so happy with the the tune shaded look and, and we really feel like that was the the way to go because there was a lot of pressure early on to do a all cgi series and you know voltron the third dimension with outstanding well the technology's evolved a lot and as you've seen with you know transformers prime it's it's perfectly uh you know applicable to do something like that uh but we really felt like in order to look a little different and in order to really take advantage of what makes Voltron Voltron is to go with that hand-drawn character route because you just get the warmth and you can do the expressions and, you know, they don't quite move in this, you know, stiff way. So we feel like it's taking the advantage of both mediums uh, with the 2D and then taking the CGI where, you know, it can really emphasize Voltron scale and weight and things in ways that uh, we couldn't do in, in 98 or 84 and yet you still have these warm characters that you just get a little closer to for some reason. I, do you feel the same way about 2D characters versus, say, CGI, unless I guess you're Pixar or something? <laughs> well, it, it's funny because in asking those questions, I, you know, he, he thought that it was going to be too inside, but I actually like hearing about that because it's, it's amazing the amount of work that goes into creating some of these projects, you know, when, when, and you reference Pixar, and, you know, you go behind the scenes and you see that, you see so, so many different people involved from, from people that just handle shading, from people that uh, handle character design, from people that just do uh, body animations and CGI specialists. So uh, personally, I was very happy to, to find out about that. And um, I see that we're getting some calls on the switchboard. Um, I'm going to bring Ray on. He has a question for you about Gladiator Voltron. So I'm going to bring him in. <laughs> awesome. Hey, Ray, you're on the air. Welcome to the show. Thank you. What I was going to ask Jim is, are we ever are they ever going to step back and review the Voltron at the toys release that we've got a series for? 
<laughs> Albagas, right? Gladiator Voltron. Know him and love him. Uh, you know, I'll just say watch Voltron Force, and there are certain o- homages and things. I don't think we have the rights to that one um, as much as I would love to do things with that. I, I, I think at, at some point we just, you know, acquired uh, Die Rugger and Beast King Go Lion. But um, I've made it my, you know, personal mission to somehow, some way, uh, uh, bring up. And I asked the uh, late great uh, Peter Keefe, the uh, uh, executive producer of uh, the original Voltron. I, 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 I swear there's an English dub somewhere of uh, Alba Gaz out there that I'm determined to find as I uh, look through the Raiders I've been of the Lost. Hunting Lop- for it too. <laughs> What's that? I've been hunting for it myself. It looks like it would have been a pretty interesting series. <laughs> There's a great fan film that we did a couple years ago. A, a fan remixed the original Voltron uh, opener and uh, uh, put Albagas in there, and you just kind of get the sense of, uh, oh, that's that's what it could have been. But um, you know, I, we I'm sure you've maybe even read about some of the different uh, configuration powers of Voltron, which is a real nod to Albagas and the uh, the powers of the Alpha Beta Gamma and being in different you know configurations. So I like to think that is our uh, homage to that, but uh, yeah, that that was quite a playground legend, wasn't it? To uh, you flipped over your back of your matchbox box and uh, to see this other one, and like they had the still shot on the side, and you were like, what? What is that? Is that in the series? Why can't I see that one? And there's another one uh, too, actually. Uh, uh, Altanius. Exactly, was supposed to be uh, the, uh, the original. Yeah, and uh, you know my my boss has the funny story, which I'm sure some of your listeners have heard of. Uh, you know they were they were going to launch three of them as uh, Voltron of the near, far, and middle universe, and um, you know they launched vehicle Voltron, I guess, in some markets, and you know it did okay, and then suddenly uh, they they made a call and they said, okay, well send us the one with the lion, referring to uh, Daltanius's lion on the front of his chest, and they uh, sent Go Lion by accident, and, and you know my boss Ted Gobbler was like, wait a minute, this is the one that I want because you could understand it even if you didn't know any Japanese and uh they put it on and, and we were eating it up, weren't we, Ray? Yes I was. I'll admit it. <laughs> no no shame. I got my that. son to watch the entire original series. He loved it. Oh, that's awesome. How old is he? He is six now. We got oh, man. him to sit down after watching Lions, trying to get CP taken extra in vehicle force. Ten minutes up episode he got up this is a rather profane word and walked out the room, but it's one of those, it was shocked, we were laughing, but no surprise. <laughs> the uh, the next generation, huh? So you probably did the same thing when you were young, so uh, you give it a little time. I like Voltron, Life Force, but it's more about the story and you have the fantasy. Seems like yeah. Vehicle Voltron is more about the tech. Yeah, that's a good way to put it, and I, I keep appreciating, even you know, after all these years and working on Voltron so closely, I, I appreciate so many of the little touches that went into the original series, and, and, and you hit on it with the fantasy, and, and it's just this great fusion of you know all these genres, and you know you look in Alfor's tomb, and there's this Egyptian piece, and it just had it wasn't like anything else, you know. I know a lot of people like to compare it to Transformers, and fair enough, but um, you know just that otherworldly setting, and you know here's Planet Eris, which was advanced yet ancient, you know, like Voltron, and, and it was just 
such a great hybrid of things. And then you had these very, you know, Giger-esque uh, uh, planet doom and things. So um, um, that's what I hope we could uh, uh, capture with the new series, and I think we have. And, and, and then we get to go places in the new series that, you know, you, you, you haven't seen yet and, and kind of get into the origins and start asking those questions that little Ray did at six years old, saying, uh, you know, well, why lions and things like that? And where does this all come from? And who made Voltron? So uh, it's going to be a wild ride. Are you going to check it out? Oh, definitely. <laughs> Perfect. I'm right. hoping that my son decides to take an interest in a while. He likes the drawing so far, so. Oh, no, he'll love it. He'll be he'll be in. Just just have him sit through that first 90-minute, man, because it's, it's it, like I said, it's Voltron for 2011, and, and it's funny, and it's fast, and, you know, the humor was something that really caught me off guard with uh, Todd's script, and that, you know, I know that doesn't sound good at first. You're like, a funny Voltron, huh? <laughs> like, this ought to be interesting. <laughs> you know, it but, had uh, its points back then also. <laughs> I guess... Uh, oh, yeah, an episode of Watch the Princess Get Spanked. <laughs> it's like ha unintentionally funny and the, 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 the bad one liners, right, that we can all remember and you know, the the the, the characters doing. But what Todd's done is, is wrote a lot of stuff that really comes from the characters and the humor uh comes from them and their situations and kind of saying what the audience is thinking. So, you know, he likes to say the show is just self aware enough not to tip into a Titan Maximum area or something, but just be enough in this post-robot chicken world we live in, you know, and, and kids being so yeah. happy. You know, you, also, you, you have Kathy, whose idea was it for the boxer shorts? <laughs> you can blame me for that, actually. <laughs> it just looks wrong. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, Ray. That's a subtle, very, you know, classy thing. I, 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 the subtle adult humor that a child wouldn't understand in like a teenage years. <laughs> well, yeah, they're, they're for more uh, classic fans than um, than the younger generation. So uh, that's why we got to put them on sale, too, to uh, sell them before, uh, uh, you know, all the new kids and stuff that are coming on board. They'll be like, what's Daddy wearing? So, uh, But they've been a big hit online, and... Uh, I'll have to send Rich some if he only promises to use them for the forces of good and not for evil. Uh-huh. We're male. We know better. Anyway. <laughs> Thanks for calling um, in, Ray. I appreciate it. All right. Let me know what you no think. Thank you. Twitter, at Voltron. See you around, Ray. Thanks again. No problem. Have a good time. Take you care, too. Ray. Thanks for being a fan. All right. Last, uh, last, uh, last few questions I had for you. Um, besides the, this Voltron project, are you working on anything else, or are you exclusively just involved in, in, in only this Voltron project? Yeah, Voltron has definitely, and particularly that we're so close to premiere date, has uh, uh, ate up uh, a lot of time and resources, and uh, we all joke around here, created a lot of Voltron widows and our wives that we've uh, had to ignore and things like that for different uh, uh, responsibilities and just, uh, you know, staying that extra hour or two to make sure that, you know, the formation sequence looks exactly like it did in the original series. But, you know, those all pay off when you, you, know, you read comments from fans and things and they'll say like, oh, man, you know, that really captured the magic of Voltron. So um, right now Voltron is you know, uh, uh, definitely the uh, the main event, but uh, World Events has a number of other properties from Denver, The Last Dinosaur, which uh, uh, cleared a lot of the world and has a very uh, infectious 
theme song uh, that we're, uh, there's a lot of interest in right now, including a, a Denver The Last Dinosaur movie, to Saber Rider and the Star Sheriffs, which I think is a you know, highly underappreciated series as far as in the U.S., where you know, essentially it was Voltron in a space western. And uh, you, know, you had the great Peter Cullen in there doing the voice of uh, the unfortunately named giant robot Ramrod. But uh, it's really cool <laughs> based on a, uh, a series star Musketeer Bismarck uh, from Japan. And uh, the animation is so good. It's available on DVD from uh, VCI. You can buy it at Voltron.com. And, uh, but uh, it's, 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 it's such a cool universe like Voltron where it's, you know, uh, the space western, and, and, and but yet you have this high-tech mixed with the old. So um, there's a number of different, uh, that, that one actually we're looking at some comic book opportunities and, and maybe even video games, and it's really big in Germany right now for, for whatever reason. You know, you just never know when these things are going to hit. Uh, a company, Anime House, had released some things. So uh, so that's going on, and um, so, yeah, there's, uh, there's lots of... Uh, different opportunities and we're only now just starting to look beyond you know kind of Voltron Force but for right now all eyes are focused on uh, next Thursday at uh, 8.30 p.m. EST Nicktoons there you go uh, and of course this question I've been just wanting to ask because given your history with Voltron from all the cartoons from, from that era from you know between Mask and Centurions, Visionaries, He-Man. You know, He-Man, of course, got remade. But if you can pluck another cartoon out of there, for, out of that era besides Voltron to redo and reimagine, personally, what would you like to do? <laughs> Inhumanoids. <laughs> the oh, evil that lies within. <laughs> That'd be an awesome one, right? Well, you, you pick some good ones, too, right, with Centurions and stuff. I think Jason the Wheeled Warriors also had a really cool... You know, world, and who can forget? You know, the buzzsaw uh, thing and mask, man. Mask, come on, right? What's up with mask? How come there's nothing with mask going on? I mean, geez, OP, do we have to start singing the theme song right now? Because we will. Uh, uh, well, you never uh, know that that might need to happen. But the the thing with mask, and 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 it's good that you actually you know share that same reference with me is the fact that <laughs> mask would translate well to film because it's all about the cars. You know? Yeah. It's like Fast and the Furious meets Transformers, especially if you do the, what was it, the third season where it was all racing stuff or something, you know? It's just, it's just so darn cool. Like, I don't, I don't understand. I don't know what's going on with Mass, but I used to have a list, actually, of, um, you know, all the movie ideas and TV show ideas, and, and there was a, uh, there was a properties to acquire, you know, and, uh, I think Danger Mouse is on that list, or just something where you're like, oh, that makes total sense, you know, it's Stuart Little meets Jason Bourne, right? Come on, you know, and Penfold and that whole world, and, uh, you know, I'm sure everybody had the same list, right? G.I. Joe, if I know they can make a G.I. Joe movie, and, uh, and Transformers, yeah. and, uh, we tried to make an Inhumanoids movie, I think, in high school as well. It did not turn out well on VHS. I think the date is in the corner. Yeah, I um, the you know stuff like that. Centurions. I'm a huge I'm a huge mark for Centurions. Centurions was was <laughs> really, was epic when when I was a kid. Uh, the Bionic Six, the Silverhawk. Oh, yeah. You know, the, uh, there were there were so many great properties in there, and in a way, I feel that. Especially now, and that, that, that's why, I, like I said, I expressed so much enthusiasm before I even asked you to come on, is just because back then there was a, a bigger shades of originality than now. Now it's almost like, oh, we're going to grab these Japanese uh, products and we're going to convert them to U.S. audiences, then we're just going to crank it out. 
and <laughs> you know, see see the dollar signs just rain rain upon us. But back then, you you had you know, so you went from stuff like He Man to you know Pirates of Dark Water to Galtar and the Golden Lance. Like it was such a so many diverse and different animation styles and so many different just products that were out there at the time that I just feel that's lost and. You know, not even because you're a guest, but just as a fan and, and not even blowing smoke up your ass. It's just the fact that seeing that, seeing something like that from, from my childhood done and, and, and people try to apply a lot of energy to it, it's just, you know, it, it's a breath of fresh air. It's nice to see that. Well, I appreciate that, man, and, and I assure you we, we we tried to pay a lot of respect uh, to the original. And I know a lot of fans, you know, uh, when they first start seeing the trailers and teasers and stuff, uh, you know, uh, as a card-carrying geek myself, it's uh, it's tough to kind of, you know, accept change, and you want it to be like the, the original, but, you know, the the property and everything, it has to evolve. But um, I assure you when, when fans tune in next Thursday, they're going to see, you know, something that re- they're going to see the DLC that, that went into this. And, you know, while it may not be exactly, you know, the same uh, anime show, they remember it's um, in a lot of ways is going to be better. And in a lot of ways, it's just going it, to, it, I think the core of what makes Voltron Voltron is in there, and uh, they're going to be in for a treat. So um, absolutely, man. I, I appreciate that, and I hope, you know, we're, we're always constantly working to, um, you know, improve the areas that we know need improving, you know. So um, we're constantly working to make the animation better, you know, make everything sound even better, make everything, the battles even bigger. So uh, we're on it, and, um, you know, just know you've got, Guys on the inside, from uh, from all of our partners to uh, myself, you know, as a Voltron fan, I, I won't let anything happen to our big guy that uh, would disgrace him. So, uh, you know, no 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 third dimension on my watch, as I like to say. <laughs> nice, I appreciate it. Well, uh, you, you've answered so many of my questions. I just wanted to, yeah, of course, keep them coming, man. If, I I just want no, I, I, we're we're all good. I actually wanted to say, you know, that you you know we got Voltron next week. Thursday, 8.30, Eastern Standard Time, uh, June 16th on Nicktoons. And, of course, they can follow you at Voltron, and you can also check out the Voltron fan page on Facebook. Did I miss anything else? <laughs> That's it, man. You know, in Voltron.com, and there's some great forums on there, and you can interact with other uh, Voltron fans, but uh, you've got us. And I, I encourage people to also hit, you know, Nicktoons.com and, Go on there and play the video game. It's really cool. Uh, Voltron Force Ultimate Victory, and, um, and and really, you know, help us spread the word with kids because um, you know we know the core fans. All of us are uh, super pumped and excited, but um, we we ought to start national. Get a kid into Voltron Day because um, you know that's how it's going to survive. And you know, so far so great uh, with kids who have seen the series and uh, and the way they're reacting to it. But. Um, it's our mission. We've got to educate the kids, right, on who the defender of the universe is. So um, the day will be where no one will compare uh, Power Rangers to Voltron anymore. The uh, the defender of the universe will uh, take his proper throne as the king of the animation jungle, huh? Oh, I'm, I'm, uh, that, that's the way it should be. And you know, I I really, I really have high hopes for it. And again, you know, I think I, I appreciate you coming on and definitely, you know, keep in touch with me. You know, not even on a show standpoint, but just. Uh, keep so I can keep the listeners updated. And by all means, you know you're you're welcome to come back if if you want to promote anything or announce anything. You got an open door invite, man. You're 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 a class act, and I appreciate all the time <laughs> answering questions from our listeners as well. 
Oh, I, I truly love it, man, and uh, I appreciate your energy and enthusiasm, and uh, it's just a great month to uh, to be into geeky stuff like we are, right? I mean, with E3 this week, and it's your birthday, too, right? You said, uh, what was it, on the 24th yeah, there? Tw- my birthday is the 25th. You know, we got Green Lantern. I watched X-Men First Class. It, 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 all, 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 my, all my nerdy tendencies will be getting a lot of <laughs> a lot of money. Isn't it amazing? Like if, like you know, in 1984, somebody told you, you know, or even like, like you said, like even that transitional period, like '92, like yeah, the June of 2011, you know, Nintendo will unveil a new system. We'll see, you know, a Green Lantern movie, and you know, we've got Super 8 opening up tomorrow, and this uh, Troll Hunter movie looks awesome. It's just, it's just a great time to be a nerd, man. And of course, Voltron Force next week. So it's just. It's just it's just a renaissance going on here, and it's just real like wish list things that you would you would never see. But maybe we'll be saying that on you know 2019 when we're like, did you ever think you'd see a Hawkman movie? I don't know. <laughs> well, you know what? It's it's funny you mention a Hawkman movie, and and I'll share that with you because they are entertaining that concept and bringing that to the silver screen. I don't know how well they're how well people are going to embrace that, but it has been discussed. I think I discussed it two episodes back, and. Um, it, it, it's it's out there, man. It's out there. There's there's a lot of great properties. I mean, DC rebooting their entire universe and starting at number one should be very interesting, and that should open up a, a, a lot of opportunities as well. Yeah, that's Jeff Johns. You know, he's a, a confirmed Voltron fan, and um, we uh, almost got him to write the uh, forward to our Voltron United and Drawn uh, uh, art book that we did with uh, Five Finity and uh, uh, Moonstone uh, that's out, and uh, uh, he's, he's he helped the Robot Chicken guys, Matt and Seth, at some point, and um, yeah, he's a confirmed Voltron fan. So uh, we'll have to uh, see him at Comic Con this year. Is that is that book available for purchase? Like like yeah, you can get States? it on Voltron.com or just search around for it. It's this really cool time capsule that. You know, it's a lot of, you know, today's professional artists and, and like you're mentioning just, you know, Voltron affecting this generation. So they had a chance to just really, you know, go unleashed and uncensored and, and interpret Voltron however, you know, they want. And it's just fascinating stuff. I blew up a bunch of prints and have them along the office here. And um, it's just fantastic. And then we also included, like, you know, an episode guide and, um, you know, just bits of history and a lot of interviews and things like that. So it's all in this nice hardcover. It's a, it's a really nice, just classy kind of coffee table book. And the cover's by E.J. Sue. And it's this beautiful painting. I mean, there's just some jaw-dropping stuff in there. And it just kind of, you know, celebrates the pop culture uh, impact of uh, Voltron. And we keep talking to the guys at uh, Mattel because they, they do a lot of, uh, you know, the He-Man got the same kind of artistic treatment that we've got to uh, do some kind of uh, art show with all the, the good 80s stuff. So uh, start painting your, uh, you know, Silverhawks uh, opus now, and uh, maybe it'll be featured in some cool... We should make an art gallery of just, like, the obscure stuff, though, right? You know, <laughs> like the Inhumanoids or the Visionaries and stuff like that. I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind seeing that. I think. I think that 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 old stuff has has a great place. And seeing that done, I think there's actually a really good um, collage picture, which I actually think I have saved on my computer. If I have it, I'll um, I'll DM it to you, or I'll put it on the fan page where a guy took all the cartoons from the '80s, including you know GI Joes, Care Bears, mm. uh, and Voltron, and he just drew them, and it was done so nice. I actually think it was used as a cover. In, or as an insert in a wizard magazine, but I think you'd enjoy it, so I'll, I'll make sure to get it over to you. Yeah, hit me, man. I also have it in my 
bathroom in my man cave uh, one ultimate beach party and they're all like those um those old sierra point and click adventure game kind of uh style and voltron's in there and you know it's conveniently placed where anyone uh, using the facilities can uh sit there and you just stare at it and you're like um wow you know and i think it's on um i'm trying to remember the name of the site oh i love it uh x uh something uh x entertainment no what is it that's a dangerous log on or address to give out <laughs> i can't remember <laughs> but he's got a whole um uh, uh retro thing that he does where he, where he drudges up uh uh different uh you know relics from the 80s whether it be uh you know like the uh what was the swamp man action figure and things like that it's just a, a great site i'll remember it and uh twitter it to you sounds good man i appreciate it absolutely man this has been a real uh treat and uh let's keep in touch and please let me know what you think of uh voltron force Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we did the the, the pre-show write-up, and we'll make sure to do a post-show write-up and put it on the site as well. And either myself or Slick will definitely share our our thoughts on on the new animated series, either directly via an article or even just directly to you or on the fan page. So rest assured, you'll you'll get feedback from us 110. percent Perfect, man. And, and some other time we'll talk wrestling as we're in St. Louis, the home of uh, Randy Orton, your uh, world champion. So. Uh... There you go. We've got lots to uh, get into. Oh, nice. That sounds cool, man. We could definitely do that. <laughs> Perfect. As you can see, there's one of us is in the inside. I've infiltrated the castle. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's that's great, man. It's nice to hear that you're a wrestling fan. So that, 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 that opens up another level of conversation down the road for sure. Absolutely. We'll uh, we'll have to talk about that. Uh, can't even can't even go into it, or we won't stop. We'll be here until 4 a.m. Yeah, there you go. All right, brother, I, I appreciate you coming on again. Voltron Force this third, uh, the 16th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern on Nicktoons. You can check them out. Voltron on Facebook, at Voltron on Twitter, Voltron.com for some of the, to, to order some of the stuff we've discussed. And by all means, make sure to share your input on the Facebook fan page and uh, hit Jeremy up on Twitter. He'll answer all your questions and always approachable and uh, just a class act, man. So I appreciate you coming on, dude. Thanks, Rich. Keep up the great work. All right, brother. Take care of yourself. See ya. Bye. All right. We just uh, wrapped up with Jeremy Corre from uh, Voltron. He's the creative director. You can follow him on Twitter, at Voltron. If you're on Facebook, make sure to head over to the Voltron Facebook fan page. It's actually listed in our favorites on the My Take Radio fan page. And I sincerely hope you guys enjoyed it. It's going to give some great insight. And it's just a fantastic trip down memory lane for me. Um, my fond- One of my fondest memories of Ultron I didn't get to share with Jeremy was me misbehaving and my mother picking up the black lion and cracking me over the head with it because I wouldn't behave myself. Because like anybody else, you know, I was a pain in the ass when I was young. And um, I got cracked over the head with a black lion. I remember I had a knot for about 20 minutes. And, you know, I was I was whimpering. I was like, oh, you're going to lie. And my mother's like, why are you crying? It's made of plastic. I'm like, it's made of metal. And she's like, oh. She's like, whoops. You know, so there was a, a period of awkwardness there. But you know, I was a badass kid. It happens. But that was actually one of, my, one of my fondest memories. I think that's one of the reasons why the black lion was my favorite, because I remember pestering her incessantly for her to get it for me. And, you know, every week we'd go, and this was at a point where I lived in the Bronx, and she'd be like, 
She'd walk by, you know, the, the bootleg toy store where they had the fake lions that were packed in, like, the green packaging with a Voltron that looked like a guy with a human face. Um, and I was like, wow, I need the black lion. I need the black lion. She finally uh, cracked, you know, she finally broke down and got me an official one uh, one Christmas. And, you know, I've been a fan ever since. So that was a nice trip down memory lane, and I appreciate Jeremy for coming through. I am going to take a quick commercial break, and when we come back, we're actually going to try and run run through some wrestling because I need to hit this E3 stuff. There's so many things to discuss with that, and I got so many uh, movie movie items to discuss with you guys, and I know we got like two hours of show left, so we're going to just jump right into commercial break, and we're going to hit it right after this. Ladies and gentlemen, the hottest place on the Internet for wrestling and video games is, of course, WGS Radio. We got it all. News, reviews, interviews with some of the biggest stars in wrestling today, and yes, even the leader of Team Cooch himself, Nick Dirty Seth. That's every Wednesday and Saturday night, 7 p.m. Central Time, and of course, for pay-per-views, two hours before every pay-per-view for wrestling www.blogtalkradio.com slash WGS Radio. We'll see you there. All right. Well, let's get into some wrestling. We're going to try and just bang this out. I only want to touch on a couple of items from Raw this week that were of particular interest. And um, you guys got to bear with me. I am working with a new Blog Talk Radio switchboard. So... um, it's actually very nice um, testing it out. We're supposed to see how it runs, but um, let's hopefully see if it works because it's been a, a little sketchy this evening. I know Slick has been running it also, and he's been giving me some great feedback, but uh, just a, a bit of a love-hate relationship right now with it just because it's a beta, and it's not working the way I want. But let's try and get into some of this wrestling talk. Hopefully it'll work. actually feel as dissatisfied as I am with TNA that I just insulted my listeners by playing their intro music for the wrestling segment, and uh, I apologize for that, but for some reason I couldn't cue up the raw intro music, but nonetheless, let's get into some wrestling, shall we? Uh, Monday Night Raw this week, I'm just going to, I'm not going to bother recapping the whole thing because I'm sure all of you guys have seen it. I just want to talk about a couple of high points and low points. Um, the tag match with Alex Riley and John Cena versus The Miz and R-Truth was very formulaic. I'm actually starting to enjoy R-Truth's psycho- psychotic persona well, for, for three reasons. Reason one being that it, it's, it's a different spin on your typical heel because he's actually feeling justified in his actions and his gripe with the audience is actually very... It, 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 almost, hinge, it almost hinges on... 
re- just real life events because our truth is a guy who's was very kid friendly for so long during his tenure with TNA. He was a, a monster heel. He was their champion at one point, and now he comes to WWE. He's got the what's up and the, and the dance and the stupid silliness, and he's trying to be taken seriously. And he's still pigeonholed in that. So I like the the air of realism in that. I just feel that sometimes our truth gets a little a little too over the top with it. But he's improving. I actually would like to see him just lose the really terrible South Pole. I bought it from a bodega in flushing type clothes that he has, which is a New York reference. Um, I'd like to see him more, just more serious, you know, come out, cut the braids off, look, look more badass. I think that would bring his character full circle because for me, I just feel like it's our truth just being bad. Our truth. Um, I honestly feel that just a wardrobe change, just a subtle tweak like that would speak volumes just in terms of character development. But I am, I am appreciating his heel turn and I, and I, and I'm starting to appreciate his work. Um, the low point also for me, well, the tag match wasn't a low point. I just felt it was formulaic. I also felt that, um, the Miz again made to look weak eating the pinfall, but I can understand the rationale because you wanted to keep our truth strong going into the pay-per-view makes sense. Um, but the Miz is such a, a, a strange character because he's sometimes very, very okay. Sometimes he's marginal, but he, he's a guy that is your, I, I really want to say one of your strongest heels right now on the raw brand. Uh, slowly our truth is stepping up as well, but I don't know. He's really getting kicked down, down the fucking ladder, which is a little, a little disheartening to watch after spending and investing so much energy in building him up. Uh, the low point for me actually in this episode was Booker T and Jack Swagger. Uh, just it just felt like there was no chemistry there, and it's not even because Booker T is is a bad wrestler. It's just that it just felt uh, very awkward. Like some wrestlers work really well together, and you can see that instantly. There's a chemistry that helps uh, move things along and make matches gel. It just felt very forced. Um, oh, same thing, Kofi Kingston and and Zack Ryder. I like that Zack Ryder. Uh, got some TV time. Zack Ryder is very underutilized. If you don't watch the Z True Hollywood story on YouTube that he does um, weekly, you're missing out on some really great just insight into a character that can go very far and is using the the, the model of social media to it, just get ingrained in, into into fans' minds, and it's huge. It's really great, and I applaud Zack Ryder for doing it. I'm I'm impressed that he's using that, and it's and it's catching on. I start seeing signs. I start seeing Broski. I start seeing Z True Hollywood story signs. Definitely a a step in the right direction. I, it's just a matter of just finding the right way to put him in there. I think Zack Ryder at this point, given the fanfare and the fans behind him on various social media networks, would benefit from a face turn. But I don't know. I think Raw right now is chock full of faces. CM Punk and Rey Mysterio. While I enjoy the chemistry between these two, especially with CM Punk playing the heel, it just felt like something we just keep seeing every fucking week. And, you know, I like CM Punk. I want to see him move into the the main event picture only because he's such a great heel. I think you can build a lot of great feuds just with CM Punk, R-Truth, and The Miz at this point, and and Alberto Del Rio. I, I honestly would like to see more... Uh, character development for Del Rio's announcer Ricardo Rodriguez, only because he has little little shades of greatness that 
come out in, in, in his promos and in his introductions, just real subtle Spanish subtleties, which I enjoy. Like sometimes it'll be like, you know, he'll be talking about, you know, you peasants, you poor people welcome the champion of champions, the, the greatest of the great Alberto Del Rio, but that gets lost in translation and he, he's not being utilized. Like it'd be good him sitting down and doing color commentary completely in Spanish just to throw things off little things like that, little subtle cues that would help not only Del Rio, but also Ricardo Rodriguez for the inevitable split. Overall, Raw was passable, of course. It was just a build-up to the pay-per-view, but I don't know. It, it, it could have been a lot better. It's just it's, it's almost formulaic at this point. That's, that's what I wanted to state. Well, with that, let me just bang out the rest of this wrestling news because there's a, there's a couple of wrestling tidbits I want to just run by you guys. Uh, first off, Obviously, last week I talked about uh, China's return to doing adult films with her uh, feature film, Backdoor to China. It seems that her relationship with TNA is now officially dead. Uh, she was actually interested in doing a long-term deal, but as soon as they found out that her new film was coming out, they decided to sever ties with her. She actually went on record as saying that there's been constant drama. She goes, it's all good in the end. TNA wrestling is missing the boat. Um, honestly, I think that TNA Wrestling at this point really doesn't need any more pre-made WWE uh, cast-offs. I think that they have such a great talent pool of, of wrestlers that they really can stand out on their own. It's just a matter of them doing the right thing and not building the spotlight on Hogan and some of these other guys. Like Hogan and Sting take up way too much TV time when you have a complete roster of X-Division guys. You, you got guys like the Pope, Samoa Joe, even even bum ass Eric Young to an extent, Kurt Ang Kurt Angle's one of the few guys that came from WWE that he's on TV and he's part of a major angle, but he also provides quality wrestling, so he kind of gets a pass in my book. But seeing China not involved with TNA, not the worst thing I heard. I am bummed though because, as you know, Mick Foley was fired on television, um, you know, live on TV, but he also severed his ties with TNA. Um, in real life as well. They were saying that, you know, it was just a conflict of ideas, but Mick Foley stated on Twitter that he he pushed hard for changes that he felt would benefit Impact Wrestling, and he said that I could understand how some would interpret that as difficult to work with. Uh, it, it, I have a feeling we'll see Foley back in the WWE at some point. I think he's just going to hang out, do some indie stuff, and work on some of his great projects that he's been working on and probably put out another book. So it's all good. I think Foley TNA benefits without Foley being there and Foley also benefits without being involved in TNA. Last but not least, the death of Randy Savage has um, finally been confirmed, but before anybody jumps to conclusions, no, it wasn't drugs. Uh, no, it wasn't prescription medications. It actually turned out that Randy Savage had a condition called vent, uh, ventricular fibrillation, which, <clears throat> excuse me, which is an abnormal heart arrhythmia that actually prevents the heart from pumping blood correctly, and it's been known to cause fainting and heart attacks. So that's what Randy uh, passed away from. His brother, the genius, aka Lanny Poffo, uh, discussed Savage's widow, Lynn and he said that uh, Randy's foot was on the accelerator, and she actually reached over and steered the Jeep into a tree because the Jeep almost hit a, a motorcyclist and also a bus. So while it is unfortunate that Randy Savage passed, 
I also feel that had his wife not acted quickly, his passing would have led to a bigger catastrophe. So, you know, it's unfortunate, and uh, I'm saddened by by the passing of Randy Savage, given that I was a big fan of his growing up, you know, Mega Powers, uh, Macho King, uh, his match with Steamboat. I can go on and on about great Macho Man moments. My, like, I've, like I always like to reference his feud with Jake the Snake, uh, getting bit in, getting bit by the Cobra uh, on WWE television at the time. Just, just really great stuff from Savage, and he'll be missed. I guarantee you. And if they don't, it's 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 a real shitty move that WWE will put him in the Hall of Fame this year. And it, it couldn't happen to a better guy. And whether he goes in there by himself or with Elizabeth, with Miss Elizabeth, it, it's just it, it'll be a great way to to just close that out and add some closure to uh, his career with the WWE. That's actually going to wrap up the wrestling for this week. I am going to go right into some video games because, like I said, it's E3. There's so much stuff to discuss. So let's get it started. All right. E3 is come and gone. Uh, WWDC also from Apple side of things has come and gone. Lots of crazy stuff happened. I'm going to just run through some of the E3 stuff, and by all means, if you'd like to call in and discuss it um, or share your thoughts, the call-in number is 347-324-3541. Again, that call-in number 347-324-3541. Just note that we have you know, about an hour of show time, so please just, just do me a favor. Don't call in with any long-winded stuff. If you've got a question or a comment, uh, by all means, call in. Keep it brief, though, because I don't want to have to hang up on you guys. It's it, it pains me to do it. But in starting off with the E3 stuff, Microsoft just strong showing on, on, on multiple fronts. First off, of course, Major Nelson announced that the Xbox 360 had sold 55 million systems in 38 countries. He also made sure to remind us that the 360 maintains a lead in the U.S., as the top-selling console in 2011. He also added that there are 35 million Xbox Live members using the service on, on an average of 60 hours a month, which means that there are 2.1 billion hours logged in per month. The, it's funny because they actually had a chart, which I looked at, that shows that the 360 is the only system currently trending up in sales as the life cycle goes on. So as the system gets older, more and more people are buying it. That's that's you know that's a huge testament to Xbox Live, some of the the, the caliber of games that are coming out, and you know Sony's starting to pick up steam and get back in the mix. But those are some really impressive numbers, and some of the stuff that Microsoft got to showcase and Ubisoft did as well because they were kind of the the company that was presenting between Microsoft and Sony was a lot of Kinect functionality. Ubisoft actually showed Ghost Recon Future Soldier, and they were showing off their Kinect functionality. Uh, one of the things that you'll be able to do in the new Ghost Recon is that you'll actually be able to customize your guns by taking them apart and reassembling them. The demo that was shown at E3 showed that the Kinect can be used during gameplay and also announced that future Tom Clancy games are going to be utilizing Kinect in some shape or form. So very impressive. I, I was actually impressed at seeing you being able to disassemble and reassemble your weapons in Ghost Recon, that was that was pretty badass. Um, UFC had made sure to have a presence at E3 also. One thing that I was very impressed, 
is that UFC will now be broadcasting their fights on Xbox Live, which is interesting not only because it's going to allow MMA to be seen by a completely new demographic and a new, and a new fan base, but also because you'll be able to pick winners um, in, in fights and on various cards against your friends on Xbox Live, and you'll be able to get prizes if you get correct picks. Some of the things I've been hearing is that you'll be able to get Xbox Live points if you choose uh, a full card correctly. Uh, the functionality of that is very cool. One thing, and, 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 you know, it's not even as an MMA fan, but just I have to applaud the UFC for just using unconventional models like Facebook and YouTube and just the power of social networking as a whole and, and going into systems like Xbox Live to reach newer demographics and expand their reach and their fan base. It's, it's really great to see, and I think that's actually going to be awesome. I, one thing I'd like to see is if you can do like you do with Netflix and get a couple of your friends on Xbox Live to go into a viewing room and watch the fights with you. I think that would be a, a sweet thing. It would be good that I can go into a, a viewing room with Slick, who lives 20 minutes away, and watch a fight with De Silva, who's out of Canada, and Dark Helmet, who's out of Florida, and uh, you know Ant, who's out of Philly. It, it would just be great to be able to do things like that, just adding another social layer to Xbox Live and just – introducing a new fan base to mixed martial arts. I think UFC is doing it, doing the right thing, and I'm very impressed and looking forward to seeing it uh, develop further when it drops on Xbox Live, probably in the fall. And some other Xbox news, of course, it wouldn't be an Xbox event or an Xbox press conference without Halo uh, in some shape, way, or form. There are two bits of Halo news that got announced, the first being the... Uh, Halo Combat, Combat Evolved Anniversary Edition, which will be coming out November 15th, and it's going to be $39.99. Of course, it's going to be the first Halo redone and reborn uh, on Xbox 360 with Xbox Live functionality, multiplayer maps, uh, new, uh, new, uh, gra new graphics, enhanced graphics, I should say, which, you know, I understand it's the Anniversary Edition, and that's great, but it, it's Halo. It's, it's the same shit. I don't mind it. I'll probably play it just for, for nostalgic purposes, but the level of, of enthusiasm out of these people, there there were guys like literally high-fiving each other. Like they just averted a nuclear disaster. And I'm like, look, guys, I understand you guys are fans of Halo, but it's the first Halo. Give me a fucking break. The other Halo thing that was announced was Halo 4, which was supposedly the start of a new Halo trilogy, which... I actually voiced my displeasure about this, not because of a new Halo game, whatever, I'm fine with that, but just because, as far as I remember, Halo 3 was billed as finishing the fight. As such, if you wanted to do a, a Halo, a new Halo trilogy, you could have called it, you know, the Master Chief Chronicles or, or something different, but just throwing in a number four there kind of just takes away from that, you know, that big hype machine that was behind Halo 3 in regards to finishing the fight, so... Definitely something that, um, you know, a, a small gripe for me, but just something those, like I said, those little things that just are, are great nods to maintaining continuity and just helping things stand on their own two feet. I think just doing a completely new Halo trilogy and calling it, you know, the Master Chief Chronicles or, you know, Covenant Wars or, or something just to differentiate it would have been better than just slapping on a number four. And again, that's my personal preference. I'm sure some of you guys will disagree. And that's fine, but I just thought that that was just something that I personally wasn't a fan of. Also, at the Microsoft press conference, Deep Silver 
managed to eke out an announcement regarding Dead Island, which is a, a brand new zombie game that will actually be available September 6th, and uh, it'll be worldwide September 9th. Dead Island, based on the videos I've seen, ha shows a lot of promise. Some people really are not fans of the way the graphics are looking, but like anything else, it's it's early footage. It's it's an early build. I want to give it some time. I'm you know I like playing the zombie games. I you know I've played Resident Evil. I've played, um, you know, I've played it to a degree, Dead Rising as well. Not as much of a fan of Dead Rising 2 uh, versus the Resident Evil franchise, but nice to see just a different spin on a zombie game. We'll see how it pans out when it drops September 6th. In addition to that, EA made sure to get some stuff out there for Xbox fans uh, with Mass Effect 3, which was announced to be released March 6th, 2012. Not only that, but you're also going to be able to pick yourself up a Mass Effect N7 Collector's Edition, which is going to run you 80 bucks. And with that, you're going to get a, a couple of cool extras. You're going to get a metal slipcase, a hardbound art book. You're going to get a Dark Horse comic, a sound, a soundtrack, and also a lithograph of the Normandy, a fabric N7 patch, and do a downloadable mission character and a weapon pack, plus a robotic dog to keep you company. I don't know how many people will give a shit about that, the Xbox 360 version, you're going to get a Normandy avatar prop as well. So for those of you that are fans of that mass, you're going to be able to pick up Mass Effect 3, March 6, 2012. I actually wanted to touch on something else that was mentioned, and I'm surprised Xbox didn't really go into it, well, Microsoft didn't go into it more during the Xbox conference, and it was the announcement of cloud storage coming to the Xbox, to Xbox Live. Cloud storage seems to be something that many people are embracing between, you know, Google Music and iTunes and the iCloud and PlayStation and PS Plus and now Xbox Live. It seems that the cloud is starting to become a bigger, um, a bigger buzzword than, say, two or three years ago, and with good reason. I mean, I actually am not opposed to this cloud situation, more so on Xbox Live versus the, the PSN version, only because the way Xbox Live is saying it is that you'll actually be able to access your game saves and full profile, including points, achievements, and friends from any Xbox. So you'll actually be able to go to another Xbox, log in with your credentials, and you'll be able to actually pull your stuff from the cloud, which is cool, not because you'll be able to have that kind of access, but it's cool only because you don't, if you update your hard drive or your console breaks and you buy a new one, just the necessity of having to have the transfer cable and go through that cumbersome process versus just logging in on the cloud and having access to all your stuff. I think it's something that if, if executed correctly, you know, I, I, ne I always recommend people don't totally rely on the cloud. Maybe you want to keep a hard copy of your saves on a flash drive or, you know, something like that just to protect yourself. But just that alone, I think, is going to increase the the storage capability on, on your Xbox 360, only because a lot of times demos and things of that nature take up so much space. And now you can actually hopefully pick and choose what you can put on the cloud, because personally I'd put all the demos on the cloud. That way I can free up some storage. So I'm really looking forward to this. I'm surprised they didn't make a bigger deal of it at the press conference. I expected them to do more, but... I guess they, that wasn't their deal. I think they wanted to just focus on the Kinect and, and Halo, and that's fine. But uh, cloud storage is something I will be watching with much interest. Xbox, well, Microsoft also took the opportunity to announce titles for the Summer of Arcade. 
that promotion is going to start July 20th, and you're going to be getting the following games, Toy Soldiers Cold War, which is a sequel to the RTS game that came out last year. You're also going to get Twisted Shadow Planet from Fuel Cell. You're going to get Fruit Ninja Collect, and also Bastion and From Dust. Those are going to all be part of the Xbox Live Summer of Arcade, which starts July 20th. And, of course, everybody's been buzzing about Modern Warfare 3 and also Battlefield 3 just because of a lot of similar elements that are involved in both franchises. EA is actually looking to beat Modern Warfare 3 out of the gate. They took the opportunity to announce that they will be releasing the game October 25th. That's an entire two week, That's two weeks before Modern Warfare 3. They're also going to be releasing an open multi-platform beta starting... Uh, Fittingly enough, on September 11th, also, they announced a battle log feature, which is going to be included free. It's, it's very similar to the Call of Duty Elite announcement that was made, except it's going to be free. With that, you'll be able to see current stats, create platoons, and also do various social networking features. I think that it's going to be one of those things where there's going to be neck-and-neck -neck competition, and you're going to have your Call of Duty diehards uh, arguing with your Battlefield 3 contention about which is going to be the superior FPS. With that said, you'll be able to debate that very soon with October 25th for Battlefield 3 and uh, two weeks later for Modern Warfare. So keep an eye out for that. On, to, on the Sony side of things, there's a couple of things i got to discuss. Sony announced that they are releasing a collector's edition of Ico and Shadow of the Colossus. On the PS3, you'll be able to pick that up in September. Um, it'll be in HD and will also include 3D support. Of course, Sony took the opportunity to announce the PS Vita, a.k.a. the NGP. I, I will say, in the tech demos I saw, in the video footage I saw, plus some of the games that were displayed, I feel that it is a beautiful piece of technology um, that just shows the innovation that Sony can apply to hardware but again, I continue to say that if you don't have a strong launch lineup that remains consistent within the first six months of a, of a console's life cycle, compounded with a good marketing campaign, it's not going to mean shit. It's, you know, it's, it's going to be the equivalent of another paperweight if you guys do not market it correctly. That's just the way I see it. I think that the PlayStation Vita is, is it's like I said, it's beautiful. It has some great potential to do good, and you'll be able to pick it up in two flavors, uh, the Wi-Fi flavor, which is $249, and for $299, you'll be able to pick up the 3G, which is going to be available through a partnership with AT&T. And, of course, AT&T, we all love those motherfuckers. And guess what? If you want to use 3G functionality, you're going to have to actually get an AT&T contract. So... According to what they were saying, Sony has an exclusive contract with AT&T for the Vita. And one thing I'm, I'm actually a little concerned with is the fact that you'll require a contract for 3G service. I figured that if they were going to do something like that, they would borrow the Apple model, which with Apple, if you use 3G on your iPad, you can pick and choose when you use it. You can turn it on, pay for it one month, and then shut it off. There's no necessity to maintain a, a consistent uh, connection and contract. You can actually pick and choose if you want to pay for it every month or if you need it for three months and shut it off without any penalties or any hassles. I, I hope that that's really how they're going to go with the Vita, 
but something tells me that AT&T is going to take the opportunity to beat gamers over the head and make gamers have to get a contract for 3G service. And if that's the case, I think there's going to be a lot of people bitching about that. So overall, my, my impressions of the Vita, like I said, are a beautiful piece of technology, but if, if it suffers from some of the same things that Sony's been notorious for before with console launches, I do not see it faring well. I think that the price point is attractive. It competes directly with the 3DS, and it can even directly compete with the iPhone in regards to just gaming potential and having a, uh, um, a multifunctional device. So we'll see how that pans out when it drops. Pro- I'm sure it'll probably come out closer to Christmas. I'm seeing, I'm estimating, in, in my opinion, probably late October or early November just to take advantage of that holiday rush. Um, on another hardware front, Sony announced some stuff regarding Resistance 3, um, including two bundles, one being the Resistance 3 Doomsday Edition. That's going to run you 150 bucks, and you're going to get that with a PlayStation Move and a navigation controller, but also you'll get a sharpshooter peripheral and a PlayStation Eye. You'll be able to pick all that up September 6th. The other bundle is a little costly. It's going to be $4.99, and you're actually going to get a 3D-enabled 24-inch television, which is going to come with a pair of PlayStation-branded 3D glasses, a 6-foot HDMI cable, and a copy of Resistance 3. The main difference being with this 3D TV versus others is the fact that during split-screen games, you'll actually be able to see the screens when playing 3D. So if, if for argument's sake, me and Slick were both playing Resistance 3D and we had 3D glasses, we'd actually be able to see our individual screens through the glasses. I, I find that to be very cool, very innovative. I think that the price point isn't bad, Four ninety nine. I mean, that's one of the, the lowest prices I've seen for a 3D TV. Uh, the 24-inch size, I actually would have preferred them do something along the lines of a 40-inch, only because when you are playing on a 40-inch or bigger and you're using 1080p resolution, you'll actually be able to enjoy the picture that much more going to a bigger screen. But who knows? If it's a, if it's a popular bundle, we may actually see maybe a 32 or a 40-inch television as well. So... I was impressed with, with, with what they're doing with hardware. I, I just hope that they, they market it correctly and give gamers ample, um, ample titles to choose from. One thing from the PlayStation Vita launch, which, which I actually was, was impressed in seeing, was Street Fighter uh, X Tekken or Street Fighter Cross Tekken was displayed on the Vita. And one of the exclusive items that's going to be available is you being able to play as Cole McGrath from Infamous. Not only will you be able to do that on the PlayStation Vita, but you'll also be able to do that on the PS3 version of Street Fighter X Tekken. So if you are an infamous fan, which I know Slick is, you'll definitely be picking it up on the PS3 to use Cole McGrath. One of the rumors going around is that he will not be the only non-Street Fighter, non-Tekken character involved in this series, so that should be interesting as well. Jumping back into the Microsoft side of things, they actually announced their own bundle. For those of you that are fans of Gears of War, you'll actually be able to pick up a limited edition console bundle. It's going to run you $399, and you're going to get, of course, an Xbox 360 in the red and black design and two wireless controllers. That system will come with a 320-gig hard drive and also customized sounds for the power and eject buttons. If you just want to get yourself the controllers, you can actually pick those up separately 
Also included in that uh, Xbox 360 bundle, of course, is a wired headset and a downloadable token for the Infected Omen weapon pack and an Adam Phoenix multiplayer character. So definitely a, a great time if you want to pick yourself up a console and you're on the fence about picking up a bundle. Those are two options available for you from Microsoft and from Sony. Now, let's move into the Nintendo side of things with Nintendo's uh, conference uh, press conference where they unveiled the Wii U. The Wii U is a, of course, Wii U, Wii U. You know, I figured I'd get that out of the way before everybody else does. Um, is the new console from Nintendo, which is going to be playing alongside with the Wii. It's not going to be replacing it. The, the Nintendo went on record as stating that they see the Wii having a shelf life equivalent to the PlayStation 2. After laughing for about 15 minutes and saying bullshit at least 10 times after reading that, I beg to differ. Because when you look at the shelf life of a system like the PlayStation 2, you know that the PlayStation 2 had a thousand other titles at its disposal that extended its shelf life. When you go into the Wii, you have solid first-party titles and maybe a couple of standalone uh, third parties that are good, um, you know, like uh, Muramasa and the Demon Blade. Um, what the hell was the game with Travis Touchdown? Shit. Ah, with the laser sword. Damn it. My brain's all fucked up. I apologize. Red Steel, games like that. You know, the the quality of games that you have from, from the Wii standpoint are not going to extend its shelf life very long. Ah, No More Heroes. Thank you, Slick. No More Heroes was, you know, another another standout title for the Wii. But again, comparing yourself to the PlayStation 2 in regards to shelf life is just, you know, you you guys have been, you know, jerking each other off way too much because the the fact that you would even compare those two consoles boggled my fucking mind. Honestly, I mean, I like the Wii. It's it's a cool console, but it collected dust for at least 6 months and I ended up getting rid of it. Just because it was I, it was taking up space, and I wasn't playing it as much as I should because there weren't that many engaging titles coming out, and there were huge gaps between releases. Now, moving into the Wii U, uh, this particular console will be backwards compatible with the Wii, but it will not be backwards compatible with GameCube games. I think Nintendo has finally killed uh, GameCube games with this new console, so if you have any... Keep the Wii if you want to play them. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to. It is also backwards compatible with uh, Wii hardware, with uh, Wii peripherals, you know, the Wii Mote, the Nunchuck, the classic controller. But the, the, the real huge advancement that was shown was the controller for the Wii U, which is a 6-inch tablet, which is going to have all the buttons, a 6.2-inch touchscreen tablet, which will be compatible with Wii games and controllers. It's going to include rumble, trigger buttons, and an accelerometer. In addition to that, with the controller itself, you can actually play the games directly on the controller. So say you're watching, a, you share your television with your spouse and your wife wants to watch, you know, uh, Prince Harry get married after killing his brother and becoming king, and you don't want to do that because you're playing your game, you can just switch right to the, con to the controller and play from your controller without even needing a TV. I actually found that to be really cool. Um, it doesn't make the console portable, so before you guys expect to be walking into the train or getting on the bus with your Wii U, that's not going to work. I, one thing I noticed with the use of that 
functionality is that Nintendo, and they actually went on record as saying this, um, they went on record saying that they are competing against Apple, which is amusing to me only because, you know, nobody was, was worrying about Apple, and now, you know, fuckers are starting to, to, to get familiar with in terms of that. Um, the, the Wii U with the, with the tablet control, definitely I can see it competing in that space, not by a long shot, but just definitely letting Apple know, like, hey, we got a tablet now, don't fuck with us. Uh, the console is going to run from 480i all the way to 1080p. It's going to have HDMI support. Um, people were asking what kind of medium they were using. They were like, oh, we're going to use a proprietary format. They're going to be using 25-gig discs. I, I figured that they should have just switched to Blu-ray only because 50-gig discs, the quality of games that can be put on that are phenomenal. But they didn't want to do that. I, I joked around and said they're going to put a Blu-ray inside a cartridge and it's going to be their proprietary media like a UMD. But 25-gig discs are the name of the game. In addition to that, you're going to have internal flash storage, an SD slot, and you'll also be able to utilize USB storage in the form of external hard drives. Not only that, but there were a ton of titles that were shown, which got a lot of people buzzing. Of course, the big secret was that none of these titles were actually being shown on Wii U hardware. Some of the stuff that was shown was LEGO City Stories, Darksiders 2, Arkham City, Tekken, Assassin's Creed Revelations, Ghost Recon, Dirt, Aliens, Colonel Marines, Metro Last Night, and Ninja Gaiden 3, Razor's Edge. So all of that stuff was shown there, and of course, it will have core titles as well, including an HD Zelda, a new Smash Brothers, all that stuff was unveiled. But before going any further, I see that Slick has his hand raised. I'm sure he's going to want to share some stuff with us as well. Let me just bring him in real quick. Slick, what's going on, dude? What's up, man? What's up, man? What, what do you got? The, the Wii U, um, it's like, I don't know, it's, it's, it's about time that, that um, Nintendo finally lived up to what they said back when people said, why is why is um, the Wii only 480p? The, the answer was, we'll release a, a, a high-definition system when the install base of high-definition televisions in American homes is, I don't know, I think they said, I don't know if they gave a percentage, but they just said when it's higher, and, you know, it is now, so here they are with the Wii U, which to me just sounds like PU, and a lot of people said that, you know, it's kind of foolish to announce a console and then say these are the games on it, and then turn around and say, oh, but that's, those are the um, best Xbox 360 footage. It's like you're, you're shooting yourself in the foot, then stabbing it with a freaking rusty hanger and, you know, not getting a tennis shot. Well, you know, it's funny you mentioned that, and, and I want to just go into that a little bit, and I'm glad you brought it up. Uh, one thing to me with regards to that is the fact that the Wii U... Um, you know, Reggie was quick to say, oh, oh well, you know, uh, you know, the, the, the system's a year out. Well, you know, how are we going to show games? Why not just not say that, you know, why not just say these are the titles we plan to release and not clown yourself by doing some shit like that? Because what that does is that Sony 
Microsoft are sitting there laughing at you, like, look at them using our footage to sell their their their, their bullshit ass console, which is, you know, I, I guarantee you, it was it was probably whispered amongst the brass for each of the respective companies. I think Nintendo could have just gone out there and done some tech demos with first party stuff, which is what people would have wanted to see. Even it would have been just Mario jumping around on the on the six inch tablet versus you know doing something like that and basically showing their ass. Because that's what ended up happening. Because as soon as you know Jeff Keighley from from Game Trailers was like, "Hey, um, you know, what's up with the with the demos and stuff?" And then you know after a little poking and prodding, I have to applaud him for that. It kind of came out, and I was like, "Ooh, that's not gonna be good." <laughs> it's like on one hand, it seems like they should have waited on this announcement which is very difficult for Nintendo to do because as successful as the Wii is, it's just the number of sales are just dwindling. And, I mean, nobody can ever say that the Wii was a flop ever, no matter what. No, but the sales just keep going down. And, you know, they said the Wii was not meant to, to compete with the PS3 or the 360s. Like no shit. It's, but don't you feel it's a bit of a of a uh, uh, don't you feel it's a it's a bit of of putting the cart before the horse to sit there and say that you want the Wii to be the equivalent of the PlayStation 2? It's like how the fuck do you expect to achieve that when you're not putting games out? And not only that, but when the Wii U comes out, nobody's gonna go and develop shit for the older console. Everything is going to be on the Wii U because you're going to want to take advantage of that, you know, 25-gig disk space, 1080p graphics, the revolutionary touchscreen controller. Why would you want to develop shit for your, for your, for your you know, one-dimensional paperweight at this point? Also true. You know, it's, it's going stupid to just solidify the fact that people are throwing their, their bullshit games at the Wii. It's like... You're gonna see. You know, you're gonna, it's gonna get to the point where the games you see coming out on Android and iPhone are coming out. Or, I mean, you're already seeing it. Are coming out on the week. That's right. It's like it's like I wouldn't be surprised if they go, yeah, Angry Birds is gonna be on consoles and it'll be on the Wii. You know, because that's the type of that's the level that the Wii is at. It's, it's you. I equate the Wii at this point, and it pains me to say it, to going to a kiosk in a mall and buying a joystick that you plug into your TV that comes loaded with Pac-Man, Berserk, and, and you know, Custer's Revenge. That, that's what I equate it to. I equate it to that because that's what the Wii's become. It's become a shadow of, of, of innovation that's just fallen by the wayside. It's, you know, you had the Wii Fit board. You had the heart rate monitor. You had so many great things. You had that full catalog of retro stuff from the Nintendo store. Sega Genesis, TurboGrafx-16, Super Nintendo, N64. You had all that bundled into one super console, and you expected people to only rely on that shit instead of putting games out. So it's crazy. But not to beat that up, because I know we're short on time. I'm glad you called in because of the 3DS stuff, and I wanted to talk to you about that because you're a 3DS owner. But um, did you have anything else to add to the Wii U first? Not really. It's just like... I feel like the, it's a mix between the console is either too late or too early. I don't know which, but by the time the the Wii U drops, you know, Sony in place and and um, Microsoft are going to drop an in console, and it's going to just be it, it's going to be behind again. 
Well, it'll probably it, Sony and Microsoft are probably just going to wait to see what the reaction is to the Wii U first, and of course they're probably taking notes to see how they can make their own versions of that technology because I've already seen something similar with the UDraw tablets which were on the Wii, and now they're HD UDraw tablets appearing uh, conveniently on the Xbox 360 and the PS3 for those particular games. But the tablet stuff is starting to be tested out gradually already from that standpoint. The, what I see happening is what we discussed yesterday, you know, off-air, with a game like Arkham Asylum. Why are you going to wait and pick it up on the Wii 2 when, uh, well, on the Wii U when you can pick it up on the PS3 or the 360 unless there's, you know, an, an, a crazy level of functionality that's not added in. Which I really don't see happening. Yeah, no, nobody's going to do it. I think I think that they're going to have to push out some really strong first-party stuff to get people involved. And with regards to that, they made sure to get plenty of first-party stuff out for, for your console, the 3DS, you know, between Super Mario 3D, which, of course, showed off the Tanuki suit and the Return of the Koopa Kids, uh, Star Fox 64 3D, uh, Kid Icarus Uprising, Super Smash Brothers. In addition to that, I know that the DSi was getting an update, which um, which was going to be Zelda Four Swords, which is going to be DSiWare for free in September, and Skyward Sword is dropping this holiday season for the Wii. So overall, between that, Paper Mario, how how do you feel now as a 3DS owner? Especially, do you feel frustrated with Super Mario 3D dropping? so late in the game when that should have been a perfect launch title to spearhead the 3DS and make it sell some really solid numbers. No, I feel frustrated that you have, you have, you know, the Mario game, you have Kid Icarus, which a year later, you still don't have a fucking release date on that game. And after, after those two brand new titles, you have... Star Fox 64. I'm like, don't get me wrong. That game is fan-fucking-tastic. But you're doing what you do with every other fucking console. You're just tossing a remake of an old-ass game at me just to get some money. Yep. You're doing the same What's thing that? with Zelda. That's right. I'm like, could I get a new Zelda game? Could I get a new, especially a new Star Fox game? Because the last Star Fox game also came out on a handheld. It was okay, but it really wasn't what, like, real Star Fox fans wanted. Well, you know what? I, I, I've always had a love-hate relationship with Star Fox, so you know what? Fluck, fuck Slippy the Frog. I hate that motherfucker. And um, hopefully whatever plane he's in and Star Fox gets blown up and he dies at the start of the game because I can't stand him. I hate Slippy. Slippy can go suck a Slippy dick, but I mean, the the you know the classic fight between Andros and Star Fox. Can we get a new story? Can we get some new? Yeah. Movies? No, you're right, and and I and, and I agree with that. But it, like I said, in regards Nintendo, you know, I said this on, when I did the the um, behind the mic with CVP with Phil. I, I said that. Nintendo likes to take likes to take risks on the hardware front, but then they fall behind the shield of their first party offerings, and they figure that they'll just keep tossing that out there, and people will keep eating it up. And like sheep, we do because it's like you know, it's Mario, and 3D Mario looks nice, but it's like, oh look, you know, Mario has the Tanuki suit, 
oh, that's the selling point. Like, like people were genuinely cheering for that. And I'm like, all right, you know, how about, like, like I felt that Mario Galaxy was the most revolutionary Mario for, for next-gen consoles only because it took away our typical jump on platforms and hit bricks. You know, you're going from planet to planet and doing just really innovative stuff. And I was hoping to see more of that instead of just relying on, on old hat and going back to the drawing board. Super Mario Galaxy, in my eyes, was so revolutionary that I, I can only hope that the Wii U gets something of that magnitude for Mario and that the 3DS Mario can deliver that same experience. The 3DS Mario looks very good. Um, but really, to me, so far, it looks more along the lines of Mario 64. Even though it's, you know, the gameplay, well, actually, the gameplay doesn't really look all that new. It just looks different because it, and it's just the 3D of, of it that looks different. Other than right. that, it really looks like Mario 64 to me. Okay. Well, with a the few other elements from galaxies. Yeah, but like, like, like you know, and like what I was saying before, and, and you may agree with that. From all these next generation Mario's, do you feel that Mario Galaxy was like the most revolutionary game out of a whole series of next gen releases for Mario? No, it's still really? Mario sixty four. You think so? I think Mario sixty four was more. Mario 64, to me, it was the equivalent of Sonic on the Dreamcast. You know what I mean? Like, just a more open-world GTA kind of a... Still Mario, but more GTA open-world as opposed to that linear Mario that we've all known, you know? I think that that's more along the lines how I saw it, but I'm surprised that you didn't think that. I, which Mario did you think in your eyes, then, is the more revolutionary? 64? Yeah, I mean, Galaxy is fantastic. It's really fantastic, but it's it's still using that six to, the 64 formula. And, I mean, if you look at, like, some of the, the boss battles and then look at some of the boss battles from from um, Mario 64, it's, you know, the same formula. You're running around basically... A re- relatively circular arena. You got to hit the boss three times, and, and th- there's a pattern. It's the same thing. It has prettier graphics. It's you know more. You know, it, it's really just an evolution of 64 to me. And that's not calling okay. it. That's not to take anything away from it. That's not to say it's not a, a wonderful game, but it's not. It didn't do anything revolutionary, really. Okay. Well, the last bit of video game news, because I know we're pressed for time, and, and, you know, I want to keep you on for this. Um, Shortly after the Wii U was announced, uh, two things I want to talk about was the fact that Nintendo stock dropped. Um, The stock ended at 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 $212.44, which was as low as the stock had reached before the Wii dropped uh, initially. It was a 5% drop. Um, in addition to that, you know, how do you how do you feel with that reaction? Do you think that investors are scared because of you know the revelation that all that all those games that were shown weren't even on that hardware? I think that that would be a safe assumption, and the only way 
the Wii U will be triumphant in any way is if, you know, I mean, it has a third-party support now if all those games really do come out on the Wii, but the only way it's going to be successful is if they recapture that that um, Super NES level of putting out first-party games. They really need to get on the ball and get out a brand-new Mario, a brand-new freaking Smash Brothers, a brand-new Mario Kart, basically everything that they ever released, and get out a new one. And release that, like, once every quarter. Fair enough. I agree. I, I think that that would be that would be a benefit for those guys. And the the last bit with regard to that, which which may actually be a step in the right direction, is that Ubisoft mentioned that the Wii U won't be using friend codes anymore. It's actually going to have a single online identity, and you'll actually be able to build friend lists, and you won't have to deal with serial numbers. Do you think that news like that, and hopefully seeing some some first party support? Will will hopefully woo investors now. The only way they're gonna woo investors is if they woo consumers, because the way they're gonna woo investors by making making it seem that people are really excited about this system, and that not just because it's something different and it's not an initial buzz that dies down. They're gonna have to really prove sustained interest in the con- in the console because the Wii had that initial interest and as soon as everybody had it, everybody was like, oh, fuck this thing. True. So, like like I said before, again, off air, the only way they're really going to get people is the same way Microsoft and then Sony got people. You have to have to establish some kind of award system, basically achievements slash trophies. All right, fair enough. It's the gimmick, but they they need it. They really need it. I think I think that I think that's a that's a valid assumption. And to to tie into that, and so we can put a ribbon around the whole thing. Um, you know, they Reggie and and Satoru Iwata were talking about the price point. And Satoru Iwata said that the Wii U will not hit the $250 price point that the Wii did at launch. He said that the Wii will continue to, be, of course, be supported, and they, they didn't give any price estimates. But factoring in the controller and the, the level of technology being applied to this new console, what do you feel, and, and you know, I'll give you my response also, what do you feel would be a safe, a safe price point for this console that will that'll generate a good consumer response. But but taking into account the tablet though. If they're saying that it's not gonna hit two fifty, that it's gonna be two hundred dollars. No 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 it's, be... probably, it's gonna be more than that, but you know, oh. it's definitely not scratching two fifty. That's I think that's where they were going for. So, you know, with that said, considering it's gonna be higher than two fifty, what would be if if you were if you were a guy that was going to go buy this console, what would be a sweet spot number that would get you out there immediately? Honestly, two fifty or less. But considering the games that they they claiming are going to come out on it, and it's a brand new console, I don't see how it's going to be less than three hundred. I hope it's not more than three hundred, especially since 
they're releasing a fucking tablet as a controller. Tablets don't go for less than $300, really. That tablet's right. going to be at least $100. Yeah, because it's they're a color screen. They're obviously going to have to package it in, and that, again, is going to push up the price. So the console is probably going to be like $400. But then again, I said the same thing about the Vita, and the Vita's 250 this is true, but I think Sony had to come out with an attractive number considering, you know, all the shit they've been going through. So that, that's actually, I think a factor I can, I can, I can use with Sony. Um, with regards to what you were saying with Nintendo, I, I see, I see Nintendo pulling a, maybe a 350 just because like you were saying, that tablet may run you just a hundred dollars on manufacturing alone. And you know, Nintendo doesn't, you know, they don't mind taking an L on making some money because they know that if they move the units, it'll, 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 it'll even out at one point, but I'm seeing 350. I think 350 is a safer number. Um, 400, 400 is, you know, it can definitely happen with, you know, factoring in all the other shit, but 350 is kind of a, of a, of a negligible number because you'll tell a consumer, Hey, you know, the Wii came out at 250. This one has a ton of more cool shit. So you're paying an extra hundred dollars more. Does three fifty? What do you think of, of three fifty, or, or are you leaning more towards that four hundred dollars? Lester is smarter for them right now, but I, I think with that tablet, because you're gonna have to put at least one of them in there. I mean, the fact that then again, they may rely on the fact that it's going to um, utilize. You can use Wiimotes with it, so they're gonna assume that people do have Wiimotes. So they might not put a tablet in there to keep the price down and sell it separately because it's not necessary to have the tablet to play the Wii U. You can use the Wii Wiimotes. So it might still be the 300. They might do something where, like, it's 300 with the, without the tablet and 400 with. All right. Fair enough. All right. But what they really need to do, on top of everything I've said, one of the biggest problems, like we we said, is the games. They need to go to find find somebody like Rare. The same way Sony has, like, Sucker Punch and I forget the name of it, um, Naughty Dog. They need a they need a, a a 2011 version of Rare because Rare ain't doing shit for Microsoft, and you know wasn't doing shit for Nintendo when Microsoft bought them. They need a, a solid second-party company to go with their first-party title that'll make games for them, good games. I'm talking like infamous and uncharted-level games. Yeah, they they do need one strong publisher to be able to do that. You know, they like, like you were saying, a rare. They need one third-party company to help spearhead um, building a buzz. So I agree with that, but. Well, we'll see what happens. I, you know, that console hopefully will survive the apocalypse to see it come forth. But it's going to be a very interesting 2012 with, with what they have in store for sure. Hey, hey. You got anything else to add, my friend? No, I'm good on that. All right, man. Let me just run through these movie news real quick. Um, I will talk to you later. All right, man. Peace. Peace. All right, we got a ton of movie stuff to discuss, 
And um, you know what? Let's get right into it. Let's play this music. got a sprint to the finish, folks, with some movie numbers. Um, first off, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, is in talks for G.I. Joe 2 to play the role of Roadblock. G.I. Joe 2 is going to be play, uh, directed by John Chu, and I think that it was a no-brainer, The Rock being involved in this project. I think he would be a good fit for Roadblock. I think The Rock's charisma would add a, le- a level of, of depth to his character, so it should be interesting. I have no problem with this casting um, you know, the first G.I. Joe movie was a fun little popcorn flick, so I have no problem with The Rock being involved in this. I think that him moving into the action genre um, is, is is fine by me. So, Rock, G.I. Joe 2, Roadblock. That's, that's... First, I, I think that G.I. Joe 2 being made is is been on the fence, especially because they got rid of so much of the cast, but now bringing in team members and guys we've seen, like, you know, like the rock is roadblock is a step in the right direction. I can only hope that John Chu and the person writing the story can give us a stronger plot than the first one. Cause I thought that the first one's plot was a little too formulaic for my liking, but Hey, we'll see how it goes. In some sequel news, it seems that Jim Carrey wants to try and do some possible sequels to some of his previous films. And speaking with coming soon.net, he said that he'd like to do sequels to Bruce almighty and possibly another Dumb and Dumber. So keep that out there. Dumb and Dumber, possibly another Bruce Almighty. That's what uh, Jim Carrey wants to be doing. So we'll see how that pans out. I think Mr. Popper's Penguin, uh, Mr. Popper's Penguins will be a gauge to whether Jim Carrey is still relevant uh, to, film, to film audiences, especially on the comedy side of things. I'm going to be watching that with much interest. I enjoyed Bruce Almighty. It's actually a very fun movie. Dumb and Dumber, I've always had a love-hate relationship with. i got to watch that when I'm in the mood to see something completely foolish. But Bruce Almighty was cool, man, and he was great in that. So, And Liar Liar is another favorite of mine. So if he returns to that type of form, great. If he tries to capture that Ace Ventura bullshit, I don't think it's going to fly. In some box office news, of course, X-Men First Class was number one, $56 million. Hangover 2 was number 2 with 32.4. Kung Fu Panda was 3. Pirates was 4. Bridesmaids was 5. Thor was 6. Fast 5 was 7. Midnight in Paris was 8. Jumping the Broom was 9. And Something Borrowed was 10. In some Marvel animation news, uh, there's a lot of animated... uh, There's a a lot of Marvel properties that are getting the anime treatment. X-Men is one of them, which Slick has seen and told me is really great. I have to sit down and watch it. But one that's actually going to be launching July 1st in Japan is going to be Blade. So keep an eye out for a Blade anime in Japan. There's some teaser images and trailers available, which hopefully I'll be able to post on MyTakeRadio.com over the weekend. So be on the lookout for that. In some sequel news, Deadline is reporting that they will be doing a sequel to Salt. Angelina Jolie is expected to reprise her role as Evelyn Salt, and the original writer, Kurt Wimmer, is currently drafting... character salt was a fun movie i think that it really didn't deserve a sequel um nonetheless i think it would be good to see that and um 
I don't know. It was it was movies like that are are so open ended that you really couldn't give two shits about a sequel. I'd watch it, but it's not necessarily something that I want to keep on my radar. And um, Slick just announced that G Four is actually going to be playing Iron Man, Wolverine, X Men, and the Blade anime series in July, which I should have remembered because I actually discussed it on the show. That was a big fuck up on my part. And uh, before I go through the movie news, I just got told that Dave from Denver is calling in. So I want to actually take his call because Dave sent me a really great email uh, talking about the DC Universe reboot. But he also wanted to share some thoughts on uh, the PS Vita and on the Wii U. And since I hadn't heard from him in a while, I'm going to bring him on real quick. Rich, hey, this is Dave. How are you? Dave, what's going on, dude? Not much, not much. I have a couple things. Is he the, there? Not there. The, the, uh, the Wii U. He may have hung up. Are you there? I guess you'll have to call back, Dave. Maybe next week we'll talk about it a little further. All right, let's go back into it. As I was saying, a sequel to Salt was announced, and moving on, here's the first bit of What the Fuck Movie News. 20th Century Fox is working on an animated version of King Kong, which no one is going to give a shit about. The studio's planning a modern take on the tale that will be told from King Kong's point of view. Wouldn't a movie from King Kong's point of view be called Planet of the Apes? I mean, honestly, come, come the fuck on, people. But an animated King Kong seems to be the direction they want to go in. I personally could give two shits about it because, guess what? No one's going to watch it. In some other reboot news, the Daredevil reboot is picking up some steam uh, Brad Caleb Kane is working on the script. He is writing it for 20th Century Fox. And Kane has actually worked on a couple of other series which people may know about. He worked on the Fringe series, and he also was the singing voice of Disney's Aladdin. Kane will be using uh, the, comic book so- the comic book story Born Again as his basis for the Daredevil reboot, so be on the lookout for that in the near future. And... Here's something I wanted to reference, and I'm sure Slick will be annoyed about, but we got to definitely touch on it next week. Uh, Terminator 5, which originally they wanted to cast Arnold, but, you know, after him going and screwing the housekeeper and popping out a kid, they want to go in a completely different direction, and the reboot is actually being retooled. With that said, Justin Lin is still directing, but now they're talking about Paul Walker being involved in in a role as Kyle Reese. Originally, Schwarzenegger was uh, scheduled to be part of the film, but due to the scandal, his projects have all been pushed back. And what they want to do is do a reboot of the series anchored by a new lead, which is the lead that Paul Walker is being rumored for, that of Kyle Reese, and old characters returning. With that said, they want to alter the original timeline resulting in the old characters being played by new people. They're, be, they're comparing it to J.J. Abrams' Star Trek project in, that, in regards to that. And with that, they also want to reduce Arnold's role so that he can appear in the film instead of waiting for him to return later on down the road with bigger involvement. I know that this will be a huge topic of discussion, so please, let's definitely try and reserve that uh, for next week. But one thing that... Um, I will go into, because I know we got like three minutes left, and Slick told me that Dave was there. Uh, Dave, I apologize, but call in next week, please, because I definitely want to talk to you. Uh, Last bit of news, Deadline announced that the Lone Ranger movie is finally going to be seeing the light of day, and that will be December 21st, 2012, 
Army Hammer will be playing the role of the Lone Ranger, Donnie, Johnny Depp will be playing Tonto, and Jerry Bruckheimer will produce the film. 99% sure this will be a nice placeholder for the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise, so I see it definitely getting a lot of push behind it. In some other sequel news, Zach Galifianakis went on record talking about the plot for The Hangover 3, where they're actually going to be trying to free his character from a mental institution. I hear the crickets chirping already, folks, but we'll discuss that further next week. Uh, last bit of news to co- wrap things up is another bit of what-the-fuck movie news. Universal was originally going to be doing a sequel to The Wolfman, but instead of doing a sequel, they will be doing a reboot and calling it Werewolf. Michael Tabb has been hired by Universal to rewrite the script, and they're going to be looking for a director very soon, with shooting scheduled to begin in the fall. Last bit to close things out, and it has to be what the fuck movie news is a, a movie adaptation of the of the game of the board game Risk. Yeah, they're going that way. So they are planning on doing a big screen adaptation of Risk, and you know what? I can get into a whole big tangent, but I just noticed we got 48 seconds of show left. So with that said, I'm going to wrap it up for this week, but we will touch upon it next week for sure. You've just heard My Take Radio episode 95 for Thursday, June 9th, 2011. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, you can email me at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. Or if you have questions or concerns, you can do that as well, mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at mytakeradio, and I will check you guys next week. Peace.